Hey, boomers! Welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your fortnightly guide to the wonderful world of Sega and the Sonic superstars? No, not quite, but it'll do! <laughs> I'm bad at introducing podcasts, and I am one of the humes who think we're in charge. My name is Dave Bulmer. And my name is Chris McFeely, and we are here with the first of two bumper-size Christmas issues. It's Christmas already, <laughs> Dave. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can't believe it, and I thought you were going to say our first bumper-sized guest. <laughs> Was I rude? <laughs> I will accept this. I am quite bumper-sized. <laughs> uh, what was the actual question you asked? Yeah, no, I can't believe it's Christmas. Flipping heck. That's We've had two Christmases now. About to break out the old Sleigh Bell intro again. Yeah, this is our first, like, full calendar year coming towards an end. Yeah, we are here with issue number 41, cover dated December 23rd, but released on December 10th. And this is one of our bumper size issues. So two bumper size issues for Christmas. This is 48 pages instead of the regular 32, oh. not counting the covers. Oh, but it's not just a special issue. Because we've also got a special guest! Yes! I'm so excited to be here, I can't lie. Uh, happy Christmas, everybody. I'm very excited. It's me, it's me. It's Martin Billany, also known as Little Karibo. Uh, back in 2006, I made this internet show on YouTube called Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, which is a parody of the anime Yu-Gi-Oh! And uh, since then, that thing sort of took on a life of its own, and I've, I'm still around, I'm still doing it, and uh, I'm, more than anything, I'm a big fan of Sonic the Comic back in the day. It's honestly my favorite iteration of Sonic. Yeah, of course it is, the best yes. one. Yes, that's what I like to hear! <laughs> this is a real internet personality we have on here saying things, so that's how you know it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> so Martin, we'll ask you, as we ask all our guests who come on, is uh, how did you first come to Sonic the Comic? I mean, you're a Brit from way back, so I assume you must have just read it like we did. Absolutely. I, I definitely just sort of fell into it. I was a big fan of Sonic. I didn't have a Mega Drive for a long time, but I used to go around to my mates, Niels, and play it on his, uh, first of all, Master System. We played Sonic 1 and 2 uh. on the Master System, and getting those Chaos Emeralds was... Uh, a defining moment of my childhood, certainly in the second one, that was tough as nails. We stayed up to like five in the morning trying to get those things. But I like Sonic was a big part of like just uh, hanging out with my friends, talking about Sonic, talking about playing it. I remember I used to want to collect comics back in the day, and there just there weren't any comics available in my local area. There weren't any comic shops. The closest we had was a, a local newsagent's. And I remember seeing Sonic the comic on the shelf, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, Mum, I have to get this. I have to get this no matter what. I need to read what Sonic's doing. And uh, yeah, I think I got issue one, and I asked them to just oh. hold every issue for me. Certainly back in the day, I don't know if I still have it, but yeah. I was collecting it, I want to say, for years. And it honestly was the highlight of my, I guess, fortnight. Every two weeks it would come out, and uh, I was thrilled. I was really excited to see the adventures of Sonic. As I sort of imagined it in my head, like, mm. this comic sort of felt like what that world and what those characters would be like if they were to be involved in a narrative. And, uh, yeah, I was I was very on board with it from Jump, basically. That's a fellow issue one -er. I don't get to meet many of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I only came in on issue six, but yeah. you, you properly... Oh, you're like the long-lost third host of this podcast that we never <laughs> knew existed. Yes! <laughs> All the stuff you're saying is right! <laughs> it's not coloured by nostalgia whatsoever. It's absolutely 100% the truth. Completely and utterly. Absolutely. Any memories of this issue in particular? This issue, I mean, I certainly remember the snowboard that Sonic's got on the cover. I certainly remember mm. being excited about that because I remember playing, is it Sonic 3? Yeah. And he's surfing down the snow hills and everything. 
I remember thinking that was exciting. I don't think he really does that in this comic. No. So that was a bit of a letdown. But aside from that, the Streets of Rage comic in particular, I don't think it was necessarily this issue, but I remember always loving the art for the Streets of Rage stories because it was suitably sort of gritty and edgy looking, but it was still very colorful. It sold the action really well. And also the Marxio Brothers characters. I remember being very amused by them. It seemed like uh, yeah. it was a very early memory of realizing what parody was because <laughs> that was a very obvious and on-the-nose parody, but it was intelligent enough and nuanced enough to be its own thing. And so mm. I, I really enjoyed those characters showing up. I can't imagine anyone's ever referred to the Marxio brothers as nuanced before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only just realized reading this issue that they were a cross between, obviously, Mario brothers and the Marx brothers. I didn't know what the Marx brothers were. No, when me I was neither. Ah. Me so neither back then. That was a new revelation. We've had this talk before. Well, I knew, but only because my mum told me at the time. I got the joke somehow back in the day. I don't know how I knew what the Marx brothers were, but... You must have just been into the classics you're just an educated man i don't think i've ever seen a marx brothers film no though. me neither <laughs> we ought to get round to it not seen a single one yeah but i knew still somehow i think it was from tiny tunes if there are any marx brothers films that are like in the public domain we should stream ourselves watching <laughs> it for the first time as an stctp stream <laughs> right let's crack into this one then mm. so as Martin said, we've got, uh, it's a Carl Flint cover of Sonic snowboarding, as in Sonic 3, with uh, Tails having wiped out there beside him. With his eyes all spinning around. Googly. We've got new strips in the form of Marco's Magic Football, Streets of Rage is back, plus a Secrets of the Battle Wagon feature, I forgot <laughs> oh. about that. <laughs> and Sonic, Knuckles, Tails, and Amy. Extra pages, special stories, puzzles and quizzes, win a Mega Drive, and more Sonic thrills. I basically don't remember this issue more or less at all, but what I do get a deep pang of nostalgia for is this sense of like, yeah, it's Christmas, so everything's bigger, we get more, we get presents now. Of course there's two big bumper issues of Sonic the Comic, of course there is! There's a Beano book out! Of course there's more. <laughs> and speaking of presents, this is another exciting instance where Dave's copy has the free gift still attached yes! to the cover. And we know why. There is a story behind it. You see, Abby. Abby, my wife, Abby, was... Well, how old were we at this point? Like 12? And she's just hitting that point where we didn't have to deal with this for a little while, but the girls, they were suddenly surrounded. All their friends are now going, well... If you're not interested in take that, then we're not friends. <laughs> what is this boy's stuff that you're into here? We cannot be friends anymore. So Abby did, very briefly, stop reading it because she'd been, you know, convinced that she should and that it was not for her anymore. And this was the last issue she got before she stopped reading. And the cards are still attached because, frankly, she wasn't interested anymore. It just went in a drawer. And that was it. And luckily her mum is something of an archivist. She's very, very good at keeping everything in good nick. And so it remained. So as a result of that, I have the first set of Sonic's Badnik Spotter cards, which come attached to the front cover, similar to the stickers, except much bigger. We've got, like, four. It's one of these things where it's, like, attached... Uh, what do I want to say? A little... It's, like, stapled into the staple yeah, of the it's comic. it's held on by the staples, right. yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just over sort of half the size of the comic. And you've got four on the front cards, which are 
airbrushed pictures of badniks. So are these to help you spot badniks? What exactly is the purpose of a spotter card? There is no purpose. They are just <laughs> drawings of badniks. They've given away so many stickers and it was so easy and cheap to do that they've come up with another way of doing it. <laughs> Here we have cards. They are already scored around so you can pop them out. They're perforated. I thought I had a memory of them being That's perforated. The and on the back of them, so you get four on the front and two on the back. And they are Batbrain, Buzz Bomber, Coconuts and Crab Meat on the front. And on the back we have Aquis and Chopper. Show me that front again. Now that's a buzzer. Oh, is it? Yes. Well, I, this explains why I've never been able to tell the difference between buzzers and buzz bombers. Because flipping <laughs> Sonic the Comic couldn't. They had more trouble even than that, trying to tell the difference between buzzers, buzzers and, and motorbikes. Motor <laughs> but on the back, we have quite a top trumpsy looking mm. set of information for each you get a close-up of the eyes for the picture at the top imagine top trump cards everyone yeah. or you know, baseball cards or trading cards of some kind yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, not quite <laughs> but... not quite as detailed <laughs> i don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh, so i can't make those references you'll have to fill them in don't worry we got you covered blah blah card games blah what they all will say on them and they all have this text so i only need to read it the once Dr. Robotnik's badniks are everywhere. Use the information on these cards, downloaded from Sonic's own database, to spot the many different varieties of badnik. Warning, don't get too close. They're dangerous. Says that on every single card. Does it say anything else? Yes. Okay, I was worried that was all it said. So we get stats for each badnik, but even they are almost nothing. So Buzz Bomber. <laughs> badnik type, insect. Habitat, green and emerald hill zones. Danger rating, and uh, Buzz Bomber gets three little red dots. Game Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2. Note, a.k.a. Buzzer. Um, excuse me? None of the rest have an a.k.a. That's two different badniks. What's the difference? You're going to have to explain. What's the difference between a buzz bomber and a buzzer? The buzz bombers are the ones from Sonic 1, the little yeah. black and blue wasps. And yeah, um, the yeah. buzzers are the red and black and yellow ones from Sonic 2. And what do they do differently? Are they say essentially the same enemy? Or I they... mean nothing. They're essentially the same. But don't... Gotcha. <laughs> but, but they're different. They're but it's, different. A, it's the principle, yes. Buzzer is the new model and Buzz Bummer is the older. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I've never before thought of them as literally the same badnik upgraded. Yeah. And, and it's weird to see that hmm. they think that at STC. Or at Sega. I mean, whoever gave them this information... Might I say, inf there's no information here. It just tells you their name, what zone they're in, what game they're in, and then an arbitrary yes, thing. This sounds very much like STC pulled this information together themselves, which STC was not always great at doing, as we'll find out in our exciting <laughs> quiz round later <laughs> this episode. To give you an idea of how arbitrary this information is, you know I said the top line is Badnik type, and it was mm. insect. The chopper is badnik type fish and all the rest are badnik type creature <laughs> so, <laughs> thing badnik type badnik i assume the danger rating is out of five by the way um i don't know there's no one who gets above three maybe it's out of three then well maybe unless we're going to see some out of fives that they're saving up for yes because we didn't mention it but these had run for a couple of issues mm. Yeah. I don't remember how many sets of them there were, but there are a couple. This yeah. isn't just for the Christmas issues, I don't think. 
One last thing before we flip inside, actually. It's easy to write off the slightly different masthead on this issue as an <laughs> artifact of the Christmas issue. There's this little red and black stripe across the top now. It says, mega-sized issue, 150, issue 41, December 23rd of Britain's official Sega comic every fortnight. But no, this is our new masthead now. Yeah, that's going to stick. This remains for um, the next six, seven, eight months. It makes sense that they would do it because it saves them having to write this stuff randomly all over the place on the comic it's just a strip along the top and it well presumably easier for news agents because they can just look at the very mm. top of the comic to see which issue it is what date it should be out instead of having to like peel a corner down to have a look at the gubbins in the corner that's the purpose of the corner box on most i mean that's not really a thing anymore is it you find all that information on magazines and comics these days is hidden on the barcode down the bottom corner or sometimes yeah, yeah. even on the back cover when you go into a news agent and even then it's hard to discern it's like mm. little, three letters and then a few numbers it's like what does that mean i don't know yeah. Yeah, yeah. But issue numbers mean nothing anymore in the UK comic market. <laughs> it's just the next part of a word search. <laughs> We're not designed to better. Should we pop her open? Shall we? Sure. Let's do it. Hubba Bubba! Says Megatroid. Bubba? Yeah. I guess he was just eating some bubblegum at the time. Dearly departed, long lamented. Strawberry and blueberry flavour bubblegum. Hubba Bubba from 1990. Three era, so nice. Totally. Has it gone? Yeah, it's gone. They've got rid of it. Hubba Bubba Aww. is still out there, but they don't do blueberry anymore. One of the two nicest flavors. The other, of course, I being love the blueberry. strawberry. Yeah, wasn't it great? Yeah. I have a picture of the wrapper, which I look at sometimes, just so I can bask <laughs> in remembering the flavor. School vending machine. I would line up. I would get some of that Hubba Bubba. Yeah. School vending machine. You lucky bastard. We had to go down the nearby shop. <laughs> We had to hope we would get change for our, uh, you know, bus ticket yeah. and, like, save it up and go to the, to the corner shop on the way home. Oh, dear. And maybe they still do the strawberry flavour. I don't know, because I stopped eating it in about the year 1990-something late on when they flipping changed it to, like, sizzling strawberry or scrumptious strawberry or something, and it was horrible. <laughs> oh, didn't have that pink cloud taste. Lemon tango I miss as well. I used to get lemon tango on breaks at school all the time, and that's gone as far as I know. Yeah. Oh. That was my fave. Is it? Nobody's been tangoed in years. <laughs> I know, right? You're supposed to know when you've been tangoed, and I don't know. Oh, I literally don't know. <laughs> Maybe we've been tangoed. Who knows? That's possible. I was always more of a phantom, man. I think like tango was a Brit thing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So anyway, hello, Hubba Bubba. <laughs> yes, I've just copped on to why he said Hubba Bubba, though, even though it's a bit warped. For Megadroid says, Hubba Bubba, do you realise how much toil and oil I've had to sweat to complete this, the first of SDC's two mega Christmas issues? So he's doing a Hubble Bubble toil and oil oh, thing here. Oh, I But see. it's so... Bit of a reach. Yeah, oh it's God, a supreme yeah. reach. I mean... Isn't it? So one thing, it's not Hubba Bubba, it's Hubble Bubble. Hubble and bubble, another yeah. thing, it's Double Double anyway. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get on his case for that. But My second Shakespeare reference knowledge of this podcast. <laughs> He's a droid. He's just getting things garbled. Yeah, there you go. He, that's it. He's just malfunctioning because he's so tired. But uh, all in all, actually, not much to remark on in the control zone, this issue, because he's just running through the contents of the issue itself. Sonic mm -hmm. in a new story called Ice Cap Attack, Streets of Rage and Marco, Knuckles is carrying on, and there's going to be a Megadroid strip as well, yes, this issue. Yes, there is. And 
to the right of his usual welcome screen is simply the issue is so big yeah that they've got a content section they've actually mega page numbers on this issue there are so yep. many of them yeah we got the proper run through of the contents we don't need to tell you them all because you mm. know just continue We're listening to the to podcast through them, yeah. and get them all. or we could listen to them all and you could just stop listening now uh, but... yeah yeah <laughs> an editor here bravely signing ed to a four-word comment one of which words is misspelled on the uh, Megadroid one, STC's top-rated character finally gets oh, yeah, the story he so richly deserves. Brackets. Hey, who's writing this? That's <laughs> it is, Miss Bill. You know, it's a shame that you chose this moment to point that out. Because when I saw that note, it compelled me to check something, which is oh. that we missed a change. We missed a landmark change a oh. few issues back. Yes. Oh! Yes. Back in the issue 35, I believe. I had to go back and check because we completely missed it. Yes. Richard Burton changed from being the editor of the comic to the managing editor. Right. And Deborah Tate went from being the assistant editor to the co-editor. Right. And then as of three issues ago... Burton remains the managing editor, but now Deborah Tate is the editor of the comic. So she well. is the ed behind the misspelled note here. Well, she's always been sort of associated with ushering in the Amy and Techno era mm. of the comic. And here we have the first instance of Amy getting her own comic. Are these two things Just connected? Just a few issues after she's moved up to the editor position. Yeah, it could be connected. I don't remember how long she would be editor for, but it's a good long time. I think it's the whole time except for right at the end when Andy Diggle comes in for Sonic Adventure. Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, still in the contents. I just, I can't wait to find out the secrets of the battle wagon they apparently have. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know they have the, the battle Do we? Do, have we seen a battle wagon before? Okay, I can't swear, but you've <laughs> mentioned it on the show before. Have I? Oh, right. Yeah, oh, fair enough. It's, it's that thing that drives up whenever you do the... The, the special. It, when you like, press the special yeah. button, like it shoot, like the police officer comes out and you go boom, 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 oh, boom. Oh, yes. That I have mentioned. Yes, okay. It, yeah. it is that, isn't it? I'm not sure. I believe. It looks like it when Blaze is using it. It's like, oh, that's the thing he shot the sort of volley from. Well, what it says is... Streets of Rage Battle Wagon, the secrets of the SOR gang's armoured war wagon, revealed for the first time. And you're absolutely right, they're talking to game fans there. There was me thinking back over the strips, going like, they didn't have a turtle van. What are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) The Singer Shots! Dave, you must have been thrilled with the Chris! (laughs) The Singer Shots! We did it! We did it! We've been waiting! Martin, we have been waiting for months. We've been reading the charts, and nowhere has Sonic and Knuckles appeared in the charts. It's been out for two months. We've had four issues, roundabouts. Possibly a few more, yeah. Maybe more, and it's never showed up in the charts, and I honestly was at the point of thinking, was it never popular? Was Did Sonic and Knuckles never sell enough to make the charts? I told mm-hmm. you to keep the faith, Dave. I told you it would show up. Number one in the Sega charts. And in fact, we have got a straight flush. We've got Sonic 1 at position 5, Sonic 2 at position 4, Sonic 3 at position 7, Sonic and Knuckles at position 1. Does it still count as a straight flush if we haven't organised it into the right order yet? I choose to believe it does. They're all in our hands. (laughs) They're all in there. FIFA, FIFA, all the way down at 6. It's not even 2. It goes Sonic and Knuckles, Urban Strike, Mortal Kombat 2. All of them actual games that aren't just for sports kids. <laughs> Sonic 2, Sonic 1, FIFA, boo, sports. Sonic 3, Desert Strike, Jungle Strike, full flush of the strikes Ooh, yeah, The as strikes well. are all in here PGA too. PGA European Tour Golf, boo. 
<laughs> I'm kind of shocked that Sonic 3 is so low, to be honest, given that yeah. you could use it with Sonic and Knuckles. And look, it's a re-entry. That explains yeah. why it's a re-entry. Oh. I guess it had dropped... A- so I guess I bet what it was is that by this point, Sonics 1 and 2 are cheap as hell, and they're a yeah, surefire hit. Yeah. So people are still buying them for their kids when they pick up the new Mega Drive 2, which is relatively recent, and then... Now Sonic and Knuckles is out, everyone's going back and buying Sonic 3 to go with it. I have a very vivid memory of the Sonic and Knuckles promotion campaign where they had those Sega TV commercials, which were the best. They were like the highlight of any commercial break. And you had the sort of boxing press conference where it was like the managers of Sonic and Knuckles sort of arguing as to who would be the heavy hitter in the fight oh my God. between Sonic and Knuckles. I don't remember I this. Memory of that? No, you'll have to see if you can find that. Oh, it was a brilliant commercial. I gotta find you a link because yeah, it is the... It was amazing. It was my favorite. Good evening, Grapple fans, and welcome to the main event between two stars. Hey, off breath, there's only one star here. My boy, Sonic. He's in the groove with fresh food. Button the driver mouth and check out my man, Knuckle. He climbs. Guys, what's the wall? Okay, gentlemen, let's see some action. Take a look at that. Now, take a look at this. Backwards compatibility. <laughs> Now a word from our sponsor. It was like a Tyson Ali sort of situation where it was like the both the managers of these crazy personalities and they're like, my man Knuckles is going to deck you in the schnoz. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that, that tickled something in the back of my brain the way oh, you said that. that. Maybe I do remember that a little bit. Yeah, there was a very specific moment where the manager of Knuckles goes, my man Knuckles. And I'm like, that. <laughs> the way he introduces Knuckles is like, that's badass. And we've got Sonic CD number two in the Mega CD charts, so the gang's all here. That's literally all the Sonic games I care about. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> That's them all. Oh, look at that. Sonic 1 and 2 and Chaos all in the Master System chart hey! as well. And 1 and 2 on the Game Gear and Chaos there and Chaos. Well. Oh, it's, a, it's a clean sweep. Hey! Sonic is fully it's represented. Christmas. <laughs> all over the world. Sonic was a really good Christmas <laughs> gift. Like, if you got Sonic in your, in your Christmas mm. stocking, that was a good time. Well, this does seem to imply that the charts, then, are about two months out of date. Yeah, More possibly. or less. If, uh... if Sonic and Knuckles isn't hitting the charts till now, the start of December. So but why would they be? You have to be? assume there'd been some Christmas shopping. I want to give a brief shout-out to Tomcat Alley at number seven on the, the Mega CD charts. I'm used to saying Sega CD to placate my American friends, but <laughs> Mega CD. None of that, that on here. this podcast. <laughs> Do not worry. <laughs> There's no Antoine in this house. <laughs> But uh, Tomcat Alley, I used to play the heck out of that because it made my dad happy because he liked flight sims. He liked uh, old, like, flying games. And while this wasn't really a flying game, it used a lot of FMV footage where you sort of, like, just had to move your target reticule and highlight the enemy planes and shoot them down. And watching the plane footage just made him happy. So I felt like I was bonding with my dad playing that game. Oh, that's that's nice. nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The fact that we both said it in stereo makes it sound insincere enough. (laughs) Editor Dave here, just interrupting before we start the Sonic strip, to say, could you all please just ignore how creaky my chair is in this episode? I've oiled it since. It won't be a problem again. Ice Cap Attack, Part 1, written by Lou Stringer, with art by Mike Hadley and colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Steve Potter. While visiting the Hilltop Zone, the Freedom Fighters come under attack from Penguinators, badniks that are normally located in the floating island's Ice Cap Zone, who've been transported to Mobius through a mysterious portal. Sonic leaps through the portal just before it closes and arrives in the Ice Cap Zone, where he finds Knuckles trading blows with more badniks. 
Sonic helps finish the robots off and Knuckles reluctantly agrees to join forces and investigate what's going on. But elsewhere, Dr. Robotnik is watching. Here's the first thing I will say about this comic. On page 5, Sonic says to Knuckles, Looks like you could use some help, Curly. <laughs> Why is he calling him Curly? That your big takeaway, is it, from this one, Dave? Yep, he says Curly. I mean, he's got... I, I, no, nope, there's nothing curly about him. No. He's got the big, long locks, which yeah, isn't a curly, curly thing, but... Nope, they're straight. I don't, know. I don't know, Dave. It does kind of feel like maybe it could be a Three Stooges reference, maybe? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> it could be. I don't know that there's an awful lot to dig into on this one. I do want to ask... These penguin badniks, first of all, I assume they're from the games. They are, yeah. yes. Sonic 3. Okay, right. My understanding of Sonic canon and Sonic games in general is that when you destroy these badniks, the little animals that are inside them pop out and they're okay. Yes. There's various panels in this one issue where he's just taking their heads off. Yeah, no animals yeah. popping out of these robots. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's just my misunderstanding, or maybe these are new badniks that just are designed to look like creatures, but I feel like they're killing a lot of these penguins. Well, the badniks are generally presented as being able to function for a bit until they get a an organic battery, as the comic calls them. Right. Yeah, there's canon precedent for badniks that don't have little guys inside, mm. but... This is just a mistake. The artist just hasn't drawn it. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, gotcha. maybe they're flooding through from the floating island to capture organic batteries maybe. from Mobius. Because he's not going to find anybody to put in them if they were manufactured on the floating island. I suppose you're right there, yeah. Okay, so this comic it works well for a Christmas special issue. Because hmm. imagine, you're, imagine you've never had STC before, but this one says it's a special Christmas edition. It's mega-sized issue. Maybe someone in your family gets you this as a sort of Christmassy treat. Maybe to keep you shushed while you're on the, the big family visit for, <laughs> you know, dinner around the aunt and uncle's house or the grandparents or something for Boxing Day or whatever. So this comic works well as a sort of standalone Christmas issue, because the gang's all here. You start off at home in the Emerald Hill Zone, there's a portal to Sonic 3, essentially, so, you know, it stands to sort of connect to that, which some of the people will have been getting for Christmas around this time. Knuckles is there, people are getting Sonic and Knuckles, mm. so it's all kicking off in this one issue, and Robotnik isn't there, but he's just pictured at the very end to remind you. So it's a little bit like they're shoving everything all the Sonic stuff into this one issue. I do have to throw out one correction, Dave, though. Oh, go ahead. Um, although Mike Hadley has definitely drawn the Emerald Hill Zone, it's supposed to be the Hilltop Zone. Oh, yes. According yes. to the narration box. All was quiet in the Hilltop Zone. I love the way Johnny Lightfoot and... Is it Porker Lewis? Mm-hmm. I love the way they're posing in that first panel. They look like they're like on the cover of like either a, a movie cover or a magazine or something. They look very fashion. They look very stylish. Yeah. They look very hench is, is my hench. big takeaway. Shoulders are out they have, Yeah. The, uh, bulging muscles fighting through the fabric of their leather coats. Two buff boys. Yeah. And Porker with his trotters out again. Yeah. This is becoming a consistent thing with Hadley where he draws him with trotters on, instead of hands and feet like the other artists do. Yeah. And you've been paying attention, is it? It's all the. It's not just Richard Elson who draws him with gloves on. I uh, not paid that much attention. We'll have to start, won't we? Well, I feel like the only artists we've had since Elson started doing that have been Hadley and the occasional Ferran Rodriguez issue. So we've now got Eyelid Watch, Emerald Hill Zone Watch, <laughs> Trotter Watch. <laughs> the things they keep messing up. <laughs> oh, uh, 
Wasp Badnik watch. Yeah, is it Modo Bugs or Buzzers? Yeah. Martin, one of the goofs this artist keeps making is that he keeps drawing buzz bombers when the script calls for Moto Bugs. Oh. Moto Bugs were the little ladybird ones with the single wheel from Sonic 1. Buzz bombers don't seem to be able to retain their own identity. <laughs> yeah, they're in a constant existential crisis. Oh. <laughs> Boo. Now, I don't know if this is going back on old stuff that you guys have talked about, but given that Robotnik shows up right at the end of this story part, I remember being extremely disappointed that they brought the Robotnik design from Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog mm. into Sonic the Comic. I felt like the old Robotnik design that the comic had was perfectly fine, very mm. menacing, and then to put him through that big transformation just to sort of coincide with what ultimately became sort of a fleeting idea of Robotnik... <laughs> was kind of frustrating for me as a reader because I was like, I didn't read this to watch Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. I read this because this is a good comic and I like mm -hmm. that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember, Dave, what your expression was at the time, but I remember talking whenever it happened that, yeah, I, I was hoping for something new and exciting whenever he, yeah. was, he put himself in the big egg. A big egg. And then we didn't know what was going to come out till the next issue. And, and I opened it and it was like, oh, it's just that Robotnik. I was expecting something or hoping for something more exciting. Right. I think yes, I think we've said before STC really managed to make it their own. That's the thing, as, yeah. As time went yeah, on. But at the time I was a lot more malleable, gullible is the word, I don't know. <laughs> I was quite excited because to me at the time I did think that uh, Adventures, which wasn't on yet I don't think, or at least it had just started maybe, represented the the next step, the next evolution of Sonic. Here's the new Robotnik and all that stuff. But yes, in retrospect, it really was like, that's the joke Robotnik. Right. And it's weird that he leveled himself up to a, a joke Looney tunes mm. version of himself when the original one, who we do miss, was great. Yeah. Mm. And there's no sign of him, even now as we have this resurgence of like nostalgic Sonic stuff. So there are like classic Eggman style appearances here and there, like in the Sonic Mania Adventures cartoon and all that sort of stuff. But that's not even him, because that guy, he's got a normal face and little glasses. Our guy had black eyes. Yeah, the black he was voids. horrible. Yeah. The big teeth. Yes. No, we have uh, talked about this a little bit before, but it's it's something I find myself going back to whenever the, the subject gets raised again. It's weird how much of what we think of as the essential identity of Sonic the comic, the Freedom Fighters, the underground base, the Robotnik ruling Mobius, Grimer. You remember Grimer, Martin? Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, reading a few of the other comics and I was like, oh yeah, Grimer. I forgot about that guy. And all this stuff is the product of a very short window of time where the comic was operating under the belief or the misdirection or the mistaken belief or the bad information that they had to have synchronicity with the cartoons. So mm. Grimer was originally supposed to be Snively from the Saturday morning Archie Deke cartoon. That checks out, yeah. And the Freedom Fighters obviously were part of that as well. And uh, Porker and Johnny, we talked about there closer, but the outfits that they wear are based on a piece of production artwork for a very early version of the cartoon that, that evolved into the finished cartoon that we see when when the the animal characters from Sonic 1 were originally going to be in it instead of all those made-up smelly losers that the Archie cartoon <laughs> uses. That's really fascinating. I had no idea that there was uh, that was sort of an attempt to also synchronize. That's uh, mm. That mm. makes a lot of sense, given that, obviously... Johnny and Poker, they kind of like stand out compared to a lot of the other character designs here that are much more classic and much more sort of adherent to the game image. And then you've got Johnny and Poker, they're looking like they're from Akira or something. Mm. They've got the heads <laughs> of the little bunny and pig 
game sprites, yeah. and then they're on these people bodies with yeah. like, jackets and much jeans more than the other everything. characters. Mm. Yeah, and it was even while they were halfway through doing that that they realized that they couldn't or shouldn't or didn't have to. And you know, they'd, he'd written the script with Snively in it, and then the word came down: either you can't do that or you don't have to do that. It's not really clear which. So he turned Snively into an original character, but. This was in the middle of the big evolutionary step STC was taking from random one-shot adventures to the world as we remember it, as it's remembered in, like, the consciousness of people our age. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's all a product of this one tiny little period where they thought they had to do this, but actually didn't. Isn't that weird? Anyway, comic. But what else can we say about this strip, yeah? So, what Lou has done again here is he's crammed loads of stuff into a few pages... It's just, there's not much to say about it, because the stuff that it's loads of is like, here's Sonic, here's Knuckles, here's the team, they're on an adventure. Yeah. It's just fighting. It's, yeah, it's just a Sonic story, and it's fine, and it's probably a good sort of story to open a Christmas special mm. bumper issue with, but not really very much for us to say. Obviously, it's also that it's set in the ice cap zone, so it's got the snow and ice theme mm. to go along with the Christmas thing as well. We should say, they do mention Christmas in the story. So it's not just a coincidence that this mm. icy story is happening at Christmas. Sonic and Knuckles agree to work together, and Sonic says, just see it as a gesture of goodwill for Christmas. And then Tails suggests that the Penguinators came for a Christmas break. Oh, he and it's did, like, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, they did a full proper Christmas story. Mm. So we know Christmas does exist on Mobius. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll do more again in the future. Do you know what jumps out at me, actually, about the art on this um, chapter? Dave, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but um, I, will not. I get the impression Hadley has got a lot of Richard Elson stuff on hand to reference now. Oh, right. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, specifically the um, inward curve of Sonic's eyes when seen from the side is one that I noticed. Wouldn't have jumped out at me. I was thinking more the very on-model Christmas tree head-on renderings mm. and the eyebrows. <laughs> they have a great Elson look. But um, specifically, there's a lot of splayed palm action. Oh. <laughs> and that's very Elson-y. Particularly that one on page four there at the bottom, wherever the portal implodes and Tails throws his hands up. The, oh, the little right. sausages fanning outward. Is, it looks very Elson-y. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely something... He's sort of towing the party line, as it were, with regards to how these characters are drawn. Elson is becoming the definitive look for the comic at this point in time. One thing I really enjoyed about Sonic the Comic back in the day was that they really played up the Knuckles-Sonic rivalry, mm. and both guys yeah. kind of seemed to be able to hold their own. It, there wasn't yeah. ever really any, like, definitive, like, Sonic could beat Knuckles easily, or Knuckles could do whatever. Like, there was never a clear, better character. It was always like, if these guys get in a room, stuff's gonna go down, and yeah. we don't know who's gonna come out looking better. It, there was always the potential for that rivalry to just explode and like it's kind of teased here but the early introductions of knuckles yeah. as a kid it was really exciting because you had your favorite it was like do you want to be sonic do you want to be knuckles and it was just really cool to see it represented so well by a comic where there was the potential for like fallout characters to get hurt or like there to be some sort of recovery arc afterwards like it was, it was just exciting to see these guys together mm. we've gone through the big sonic and knuckles team up to take down robotnik at the end of the big sonic 3 adaptation but i like how prickly they still are 
in this scene where they come together on the last page. Well, they would be, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) So much of how this is written is obviously just like an artifact of its time, and it's very difficult to imagine Knuckles being written in this manner now today, this standoffish, isolationist guy who just really doesn't want anything to do with anybody outside of his island. But that's still always going to be my Knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the only one that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> why would you do anything else? We have like I understand why we have sort of himbo knuckles now because <laughs> himbo knuckles. <laughs> well, we do, don't we? Because the Sonic Boom cartoon was right. separate and unconnected, and they couldn't really go on about the floating island. That makes sense. Yeah, no, of course he has to be like this. It's so weird that they didn't keep these characters going. <laughs> See, Knuckles was very unique at this point because this mm. is the when he's still Sonic's only rival type yeah. character. Right. But now today, I mean. These days they tend to lump Metal Sonic in under that header, but Mm. certainly our Metal Sonic never fitted under that because he was just an evil killer Dalek. He wasn't, Mm. you know, he wasn't a friendly, he wasn't a rival. But, you know, now today we have Metal Sonic and Knuckles and Shadow and Silver and there's probably some other guys too. Mm. Probably. Now that I say it out loud, I realize Knuckles is the only one who's not a hedgehog. He's not just an evil twin type. Yeah, far too many of Sonic's rivals are his rivals because they are similar to him. Knuckles is is interesting because he's very different from Sonic. He's not a speedster. He's not he's not a hedgehog. Yeah. He doesn't resemble Sonic in any way, really. Like there's mm. there's minor similarities, but he is his own animal, so to speak. And uh, I I really do miss that. I I think one mm. of the things that Sonic the comic did extremely well is retain the simplicity of the world and its characters while also fleshing them out to a believable extent and and the sonic and knuckles dynamic i i've never believed it as much as i believed it in this comic and obviously i believe it in the games up to a point but this comic is a really good like representation of what i imagined their dynamic to be I apologize if you can hear my cat meowing. Oh, is that what that is? Oh, it's quite all right. There'll be no, all sorts of strange noises in the background. I want more cat, not less. <laughs> and next, it's a feature. All I want for Christmas is a Sega. STC's roundup of all the Sega hardware on sale this Christmas. I mean, it's just a list of consoles, isn't it? Well, that's one thing that it is. It's also a a terrible affront. Um, (laughs) Because, well, the way that it's presented, it says here, top of the page, it says, Dear Mum, slash Dad, slash Grand, slash Grandad, slash Aunt, slash Uncle, slash Sis, slash Bro, slash Santa, slash whoever... Face it, you know I need that new Sega console slash replacement for my old console. Delete where applicable. Here's my wants list, complete with pictures, brackets, so that you can show them to the people in the shop. <laughs> Good. And prices, asterisk, oh, it's exhausting. Uh, asterisk, note, all prices shown are recommended retail prices. Many chain stores will be offering special deals, SDC's advices to shop around. Go on, you know it makes sense. Your ever-loving relative slash friend slash pal slash acquaintance, signed, underline. And the idea here is that you... Cut out <laughs> this page and you give it to your parents to use, to fold up, put into a bag <laughs> and take to a shop and show to a... There's it's even a the dotted list. line down the side. Yeah. A little picture of scissors and it's on the back of a page of comic. Oh, I never... You'd even, be cutting mm. out the last page Travesty. of the Sonic story. 
an affront to all that is sensible and good in the world. You can't imagine anybody did that. <laughs> of course not. No. I mean, what you do is what you do with the Argos catalogue. You leave it lying open around the house with certain things ticked or yes. circled so that your parents knew that's what you wanted. You didn't have to tear it out. R.I.P. the Argos catalogue, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah. This didn't even happen in our house. The, no Argos catalogues were necessary. My mum knew exactly what I'd been going on about for the last on, however many months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me that my parents were very adamant that I couldn't have a Sega CD because it was too expensive and they didn't think that any kind of video game console should be that expensive. I'd only just recently gotten into buying consoles. I had a Commodore 64 for the longest time hey. when, and that would do me as far as my parents were concerned. They didn't understand why anyone would pay an exorbitant amount of money just to play a video game because yep. at least the Commodore 64 would teach you how to type yep. you do your <laughs> and press on play it. on tape. Important skills. <laughs> the Mega CD was something that I just... I. For some reason, it looked like the coolest thing I'd ever, <laughs> I'd ever seen, and I'm sure it's just the fact that it looked like a movie. Sometimes you like yeah. a night trap and all that sewer shark. I was like, it looks like a movie. It's got to be good. Now, in <laughs> retrospect, I completely understand that my parents were probably right. They were I didn't right have to spend yeah hundreds of pounds on just sticking something on a a Mega Drive so I could play Night Trap or whatever. But I remember finding at a car boot sale the original Mega CD oh. for a hundred pound, and I yeah. begged my mum. I was like, "Please, please, please!" And she—this was the first time she ever looked at me and said, "This is going to teach you a lesson in how important money is." And so she bought the Mega CD, and she was like, "You're not going to enjoy this a year from now." And I was like, "I'm going to enjoy this for the rest of my life." <laughs> I did not enjoy this for the rest of my life. It was not that great. <laughs> No, it wasn't very good, was it? Oh. It was what it was. It, it, I like to play music on it. I could play CDs on it. Well, this was going to be my question. Was that your only CD player? Because that does elevate it. Yes, that was my only CD player. In fact, that's the only go, thing about the console my parents were impressed by was that we could buy new music on CD, put it in and play it on TV. And they were like, whoa, that's technology. I was like, yep. But everything else about the Mega CD was not that impressive. <laughs> no, and the downside is your TV, that's your least good speakers in the house. That is... Mm. Certainly back then. Yeah, you got to connect it up to the stereo for it to work properly. Yeah, don't think I had that idea back then. No. Oh well, we did because do you remember that? Do you remember that in those days, if you really wanted to watch Top of the Pops like properly, you'd <laughs> tune in to Radio One at the same time, and they would play Top of the Pops in stereo on the radio. So if you had a mono TV, you could set your speakers out. I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was well good. That's so charmingly primitive. I know. It's, it's such a <laughs> bang together hack job way kids today could never no. there was only one other time that i remember anything like that happening and it was when <laughs> it was when tomorrow's world did a special episode about 3d sound well viewers in some parts of the country may already be watching bbc one tv with nikam stereo sound but if you've got an ordinary tv and can also pick up stereo radio one turn your tv sound down and Settle down between your speakers as we try out 3D stereo. Well, the music industry has tried it before. It was called quadraphonic and it needed two speakers in front of you and two behind. It didn't take off. Perhaps it was too expensive. But the idea is still around and still a good idea. If you look on a regular Ghetto Blaster, there's often a wide stereo button. That's a much simpler version of what we're going to try, which uses just the two channels of normal stereo and you need no extra equipment at home. Now, they told you beforehand that what you were going to have to do is set the speakers of your main hi-fi, the family hi-fi, either side of the TV and get in the middle of it and tune in to Radio 1. First, let's test your system. Now this sound should come only from your left speaker. 
and this one from the right. Now here's the start of our signature tune in normal stereo, where the sound seems to come only from between the speakers. And the idea was that they'd discovered a way to throw sound out further than the speakers using timed reverb delays to fool the brain into interpreting the sound in different positions. So then they played the theme tune again, but with this new whirly-roundy effect applied. OK, and now for the first time ever in 3D stereo, which should sound a lot wider. I'm hearing the trumpet and some of the strings and synthesizer sounds clearly moving around so they do seem to be coming from well outside the speakers over here and there. Mark, how do they sound to you? It sounds very, very different. I mean, some of it sounds to be coming over my left shoulder. Kate, I know you were an engineer. And they have this weird soundboard where you could see the circular dials that could go round and round, timed events, presumably controlled by some mechanism somewhere, that would send the different instruments cycling round you. And they tested out different ones to let you hear how it all sounded like together. It was amazing. That's right, the system is also used in a video game here, and this is soon to be released on CD. And the idea of the music here is to just let you feel as if you're right in the middle of all this action. closest I ever came to doing anything like that was I had like a little cassette player and if a song that I liked was on like Top of the Pops I would like bring my stereo up to the TV and I'd hit record yes and I'd, I'd record the song off TV yes and my sister would always come in and interrupt and I'd be like I'm recording a song <laughs> your voice is gonna be on the song <laughs> I've got a tape and I've still got it still from the time I went round my friend's house before Sonic 2 had come out. He had Sonic 1 and I went round his house and he recorded all the music for me because I just, that was the best way I could have Sonic myself. Again, same thing, we just put his little ghetto blaster on the floor in front of the telly, built in microphone, not even a microphone to hold up, built in microphone. He just turned the telly up, hit record. And the thing is, on the tape, you can hear his granddad snoring and coughing in his sleep <laughs> on the sofa. <laughs> Do you miss that sound when you play in the game, the granddad snoring? Kind of. <laughs> I want to talk about Master System as well. I know it's there at the Master System 2. Do it. And I already mentioned I got all those Chaos Emeralds in Sonic 2 on the Master System, and that was a chore. But the first time I played Sonic 2 on the Master System, I borrowed it from my friend Neil. And when I collected all the Chaos Emeralds, I called my friend Neil on the phone, and he wasn't he wasn't home, his mum was home, and I remember his mum picking up and being, do you want me to give him a message? And I said, yeah, tell him I got all the Chaos Emeralds in Sonic 2. And she was like, okay, I'll relay that message. And then I called back like an hour later and said, can you tell him I finished Sonic 2? And she's like, I'll give him both those messages. And he'll understand that, will he? Of course, yeah. <laughs> I was very taken aback to see that the Master System was currently now retailing for only thirty nine ninety nine. I know! 
That is a steal, yeah. I mean, and it should do as well, because who wanted one in 1994? Well, yeah, in 1994. <laughs> yeah. What are the prices here? £100 for a Mega Drive, £200 for a Mega CD, £350 for the Multi-Mega, and the write-up has that little um, caveat that they keep including every time they mention the Multi-Mega. Not cheap, but comes with serious pose value. Sure enough. <laughs> 170 for the Mega Drive 32X, and even the Game Gear is 70 quid, nearly twice mm. the price of the Master System. I mean, that makes sense. Just before we move off this page in Christmas 1994, Dave and I have had this discussion several times on the podcast before, but I do feel I have to ask you, Martin, do you remember what you got for Christmas in 1994? I have no bloody idea. I wish <laughs> I could tell enough. you. <laughs> well, I know exactly what I got. I wanted Sonic and Knuckles, but got Mega Bomber Man. Oh, uh, yeah. My parents didn't really buy me video games for Christmas. It was uh, a lot of board games and stuff. Oh, we tended to get one. Um, but oh, this yeah, was a special year, me and my brother, between us. You know, when you get something between us, Big thing, yeah. all bets are off. And we got the Mega Drive, finally, with the Lion King and Sonic 1, and Sonic 2. It was quite a... And then, of course, we've got early year birthdays, February and March, so we were able to get, like, Sonic 3, and then the next Christmas, Sonic and Knuckles. So, like, yes, we filled it all in. clean sweep in a very short space of time. It's not directly connected. I remember what I got for Christmas in 1992. Mm -hmm. My parents had got me the Tiny Toon Adventures game for the Super Nintendo, not the Sega. And I remember I was so excited to play this game because I was obsessed with Tiny Toons yes. that Christmas Eve, I woke up like really early in the morning, like three, four in the morning and oh, opened yeah. it. I made sure that I had it and I was like, yes, I got the game. And then I put it back and I, I went back to bed. So I was just, <laughs> yes. I was so ex invested in getting that game that I had to know, I had to confirm it. <laughs> Brilliant. I never played the Mega Drive game. I bought a lot more Super Nintendo games. I had Sega Mega Drive and I played a lot of Sonic, but I think the Nintendo was really my go-to for just general games. Oh, you're getting dangerous. We have to kick you off the call. Sorry. Pin-up. <laughs> <laughs> on the facing page, then, we've just got a pin-up. Yes. Yes, there's a, one or two of these in this issue, um, and I guess they just didn't quite have all the ads that they needed to fill up the pages of the comic. This is by the same artist who always seems to draw the pin-ups mm. when they need them. It's another Ferran Rodriguez piece of Sonic leaping across some lava. Some lava with some lasers going into it and, you know, trying to shoot him but hitting the lava and a turtly looking head thing spitting out a ball of lava rock. That feels like it's from something, but I can't yeah. place it. Isn't it in the first Sonic game where you're like underground? Must be. That's probably, must be Marble yes, there are, Zone, those where there are the faces that shoot gobs yeah. of fire yeah. that that must be what it is yeah but it's not it's all brown here not right proper it's different colors zone purple colors yeah now that must be what it is yeah not a bad piece though one of the better pieces that we've seen from rodriguez in the comic in a while after having done some rather uninspiring strips i just like that sonic has a separate sort of whoosh like movement effect for his hand, On the hand. as well as his whole body <laughs> <laughs> oh once you've started drawing whoosh lines it's difficult to know where to stop <laughs> i've done this before when i could have got away with two whoosh lines on a character running along and i'm like no every detail of their body has to have a whoosh line i me go too far <laughs> <laughs> oh so here's a, there's two notes one is a really little one they describe the 32x plugs into any mega drive and supercharges it it boosts mega cd too i i find that contentious yes mm. i don't really understand the idea of boosting CDs. cd games so it doesn't does Th it there did exist some games cd games yeah. where you it was a cd and you put it in the mega cd but you had to have the 32x also plugged into the mega drive yes to make the game work 
I don't understand that, but who it the hell was buying that? Who was that for? There's like all ten people in the world who bought both peripherals. <laughs> so it is ostensibly just an advert. Here are the things, here are the consoles you can buy from Sega. But by making this rundown of the Sega systems a Christmas list, SEC once again avoid ever having to acknowledge that the Saturn is not only coming, but already out in Japan. Mm. We've we've never had a proper article about it. I think the only small mentions that they've made of it have felt like they slipped through. You know, there's something in a news yeah. zone about they'd offhandedly mention our oh, games being developed for the Mega CD and probably Saturn. When they talk about it, they talk about it like we know what it is, but they've never actually introduced no. it to us. I feel like Knights would have been a great Sonic the Comics like strip, yeah. like if they ever did something oh, like really that. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, imagine that. So I don't know what Sega of Europe's opinion was, but we do know that Sega of America, at this time, were very uninterested in risking moving up a generation mm, when mm. they could release bolt-ons to prolong the life of a reliably popular Mega Drive. And that turned out to be the losing strategy. But I wonder if that has anything to do with this sort of off-handedness with which they're treating the Saturn and, and almost not acknowledging it at Maybe. all. Maybe. I want to mention that the uh, Mega Drive 2's nipple buttons are very strangely <laughs> aesthetically pleasing to me. Like, I'm yes. not saying that because they look like nipples. They just, for some <laughs> reason, the two little red buttons, they just, they look cool. They look nice. <laughs> they do. Well, this was my Mega Drive. Did you have a Mega Drive 1? Uh, yes. I yeah. had the one. But my friend Neil had the two and it mm. was, I was always very jealous because that, that design is sleek, man. Mm. I yeah. only had a one as well. Yeah. Well, I had a number two. <laughs> Refuse yeah, It's a sports game. Oh, it's a sports game for the Game Gear. God, we might as well just skip past the page. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Although, so it's Pete Sampras Tennis is the first of the two pages. And yes, let's just skip it. Page two, though, is Urban Strike, and the opening paragraph of this review is an expert burn. It says, Desert and Jungle Strike received critical acclaim for their excellent gameplay and spent several months in the top ten video game charts. The other title in this award-winning series, Urban Strike, is 50% bigger. <laughs> I had Urban Strike, as I've said several times on the podcast before, so I don't know yes. if I have anything to add to it. Although, uh, it did turn out that I had forgotten a lot of it. <laughs> as, <laughs> as the news zones filled us in with more information issue on issue about it, I'd forgotten all about the uh, on-foot sections of the game, which we see in yeah. the big screenshot at the center here. That blows my mind. I remember playing, I think at the very least, the first two, Desert and Jungle Strike. I rented it from Blockbuster quite a lot. Just seeing the image of the guy on foot on this page, just my eyes went wide because, like, what? You can get out of the helicopter and run around? Mm. What? That's nuts. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever play either of these games, Urban Strike or Pete Sampras Tennis? I did not play either of these. I played yeah. uh, Desert and Jungle Strike. I do yeah. want to make a note of the lovely reference to Coronation Street in the review. <laughs> the scene is set in the year 2001, where media mogul H.R. Malone recruits a manufacturer of military weapons to create enough armor to fill the houses in Coronation Street. It's a it's strange lovely. reference, isn't it? There's no reason... <laughs> At all. It should at least be to fill all the houses in Coronation Street, <laughs> but it, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Martin, if you ever go back and listen to early episodes of this show, you'll enjoy many references to El Dorado that happened mm. in the first few episodes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> not that we make, that STC that the makes. The comic yeah. itself is Multiple big into me. references to El Dorado. <laughs> <laughs> that takes me back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dave, did you notice, the, Chris, one, did you notice? <laughs> the one massive big cock-up on the review zone this issue? Yes, I did. Similar to a, a big cock-up they made a couple of episodes ago. 
Yes, um, <laughs> they've just reprinted the Fast Facts boxes from last issue. Yep. <laughs> Therefore, they call Pete Sampras tennis an above-average platformer at the usual accolade competitive price, but too easy to lose a life. We remember that. That was really in reference to Bubsy <laughs> 2. Yep, and Urban Strike is described as excellent, humorous, cartoon-based <laughs> game. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, that was uh, Sylvester and Tweety. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I guess it could be a satire on, on war, but mm. cartoon page, what? Last issue, they accidentally reprinted the entire letters page. Mm. Except, oh, with, for real. except for the two fan arts, which yeah. they did do new ones with. The uh, letters were the same. Yeah. Oh dear, maybe uh, maybe we should... I guess we have to put this at Deborah Tate's? What's the phrase I'm looking for? We have to blame Deborah for this. Maybe this is part of the uh, the teething process of crossing mm. over because I don't think she. This isn't what Deborah's editing is like. I, I think. No, uh, we're joking, obviously, but it's just yeah. unfortunate that there have been two large and noticeable editing gaps like that in the three issues since she actually received the full editor title. Yeah. Perhaps Richard hasn't given her all the passwords yet, and she's <laughs> having to do do her very best. Sweet orange. The Only Game in Town, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Peter Richardson, and letters by Tom Frame. When Max, Alex, Blaze, and Skates arrive in their battle van to a... Sorry, I've typoed. I've written Alex instead of Axel. (laughs) So you have? I like to believe that was his real name. Axel Kidd in Miracle World. (laughs) (laughs) Max, Axel, Blaze, and Skates arrive in their battle van to a meeting with an informant only to find the boy strung up in chains, the bait in a trap. Under a hail of sniper fire, Max cuts the boy free and the group tries to escape. But heavy artillery fire soon overturns the battle van and our heroes are soon surrounded by a legion of gang members out for their blood. This is Nigel's debut on Streets of Rage. Yes, this is the question we have to pose to any newcomer to the podcast. And Martin (laughs) hasn't been listening, so he may not know this, because I know Martin does read comics generally. Martin, do you know who wrote the previous two Streets of Rage strips? I do not. Mark Miller. Oh, for real? For real. I mean, it's certainly up his alley. Yep. It is. That's incredible. I recommend you revisit them because A, yeah. they're good. They're cracking. And B, they're, they're way up his alley, but like, like better. He does yeah. some of his best work on They're almost red. parodic. You know, it's it's done with a sort of knowing sort of, oh, this is what an 80s action movie was like, Right, kids. yeah, it certainly does seem to be aping that genre. Yeah. But also scenes of drug dealers being, you know, executed gangland style because ex-cops ram-raided their drug factories, you know. <laughs> I do remember having sort of a, a jarring whiplash from, like, colourful animals <laughs> running through, like, green hills and then... Streets of Rage would explode onto the page, and I was like, am I supposed to be reading this comic at this age? It's yeah, very oh, intense. That's exactly yeah. what we've said before. Oh, you, yeah, you are the lost third host of this show. <laughs> there was the sense you were getting away with something when you read Streets yeah. of Rage. Is yeah. this, should I? Is this for me? And that's absolutely the purpose of it. And, and here we see Nigel leading into that as well. You know, it doesn't suddenly change into a completely different thing, mm. especially since it leads into a sort of The Warriors-style reveal of crowds and crowds and crowds of punks hitting things with pipes and stuff. Who all seem to be based on enemy sprites from the games. Oh, cool, right. Mm, The guys with the big um, flurry ruffs on their shoulders, or the dominatrix ladies with the whips, and um, there's that guy with the moustache and the boxing gloves in the top middle there. One thing that Sonic the Comic did extremely well, often in various 
iterations of the stories is incorporating visual elements from the games. Yeah. I always felt like a lot of adaptations of video games in general mm. kind of shied away from looking like the game. Like they almost felt like their own version, whereas like we know this is inspired by that game, but mm. this is our own animal. But Sonic the Comic was always like, it has to look like the game. These guys yeah. have to look like they came right out yeah. of the game. And it does here, particularly again in that crowd scene at the end, there's like a load of punks with green mohawks and a load of punks with pink mohawks. And God, they, they must be having a nice time, mustn't they? What a lot of fun it must be to be a load of punks and dominatrixes <laughs> stomping about on the cities with your whips and your pipes and just banging things up. What a lot of fun that must have been. In a city full of crooked cops in the 80s, maybe. Yeah, and a couple of wrestler-looking guys just kicking about and jumping around. Where heavy artillery is freely available. Yeah, and there's a big battle van to turn over. Now, it's difficult to really say much because basically... Mm. This is an action scene. It's just one big action scene. One action scene of guns going off and a vehicle turning over, and, that, and that's basically what it is. So I'm, I almost have to really wait until we're maybe the next issue or maybe three issues in before I even know what I think of Nigel's version of Streets mm. of Rage. Uh, yeah, I don't have a memory of, as a kid, realising that it was in different creative hands. Mm. Yeah. And if I didn't read the credits boxes and I was an adult, I don't think I would have noticed it was any different from the previous strips. I mean, the opening caption box here is... Night in the city, and it's hot as hell. You know, that's that's straight out of the original that's strips. Of rage. Not literally straight right. straight out of it, but you know, it's it's yeah. in keeping with the you wouldn't catch Nigel Kitching using the word hell in a sonic strip. Oh, except for the fact that it is in fact used in the knuckle strip this issue. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Did this come out between Streets of Rage two and three? Let's find out with Wikipedia. I feel like they'd be incorporating more elements from three in here if it had come mm. out. These are definitely enemy sprites from two. Yeah. Actually, 3 has just come out. It came out in June, so oh. actually, it's been out for a while. But then, what with Nigel being so busy, we don't know how long ago this was produced. Well, I'd say that probably this is sort of intended to tie in with that without actually drawing on it in any specific way. But I don't know. I mean, who knows what the rest of it will do there. There are five more parts, after all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is just, um, obviously, the guy... The, what We have the informant at one point blaming himself for what's happened. All my fault. He murmurs to himself. So obviously they've been lured into some kind of trap by their informant being caught out. But uh, that's about all we know, really. Uh, it's yeah. it's largely just a sort of a showcase for the battle van. <laughs> a showcase for the battle van and for the artist. Mm. And again, especially the fact that the final page is almost dominated by one giant panel, but there's a strip along the top, both of which contain an incredibly, like... A huge number of people, a massive crowd scene, and he's not cutting corners, he's drawing all the people. It God, must have taken ages! And then the whole of the rest of the thing is this action sequence of this van jumping around everywhere. It's difficult to draw vehicles at the best of times. It's well, great. It's a good thing this doesn't look like a real van at the <laughs> well, best of times. Well, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a ride at a theme park or something. It looks like something you get yeah, in with, with your family. It's amazing that this wasn't available in stores now because it really yes. has that vibe about it with the, the pop-up turret at the top. It looks exactly like a toy. Yeah. Pizza launcher. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything about the art you want to say, Martin? I just want to say again, while it does come across very, like, real and gritty, it still has so much color to it. It's it's yeah. really, it's impossible to ignore. It, it Like, even the games, like, I think the, one part of the appeal for the games for me was, like, it looked like a, a comic book in a lot of ways. And this mm. really obviously plays to that strength. And uh, while the vehicle they're in does kind of look like a toy, it looks suitable for the world they're in. 
yeah, I just have a lot of very fond memories of reading this comic and feeling like five years older than I was at the very least. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a 20-question, multiple-choice quiz here, and um, we're going to do it! Dave and Martin haven't read this. I have, and I only then found out they haven't. So we're going to do this here and now. (laughs) I have a scorecard and a pen next to me here. We're going to (laughs) tally this up as we go. Five points for uh, five rings for every correct answer. Wait. I'll read out the Think you know everything about Sonic the Hedgehog? Are you full of knowledge on everything happening with his friends and badniks? Why not put that know-it-all brain to the test and see if you have the Mobius Factor? So we'll just launch in because there's 20 questions here. I don't want to spend too long on this because you're going to get mad. Question one. On which planet does Sonic the Hedgehog live? A. Zog. B. Mars or C. Mobius. I'm going to throw it to Martin first and then Dave. I do love the idea of a Sonic game taking place on Mars. And while all of modern Sonic seems to suggest he lives on Earth, I'm Mm. going to say Mobius. (laughs) Dave? I'm also going to say Mobius, although a Sonic on Zog would be fun. Get a bit of a zig and zag (laughs) crossover going on. (laughs) No surprises there. That is correct. Question two. How many Chaos Emeralds are there in Sonic 3? A, 6, B, 7, or C, 5? I mean, much like, I'm going to assume it's like the Infinity Stones and the Dragon Balls in that there are 7. Dave? I realise I don't actually know this. So I'm going to say 6 because I'm picturing the, you know, the little circle of them coming out and I'm going 2 and then 2 and then 2. But I don't know. Could be 7. Go on. I'll say 6 so that we've got different answers. Well, according to the answer key I have here in front of me, (laughs) it's 6. But the answer is, in fact, seven. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to go by the answer key in front of me here. Sure. (laughs) It's the only way to authentically and fairly grade this terrible, (laughs) terrible quiz. So they're just wrong in a way that they could have found out the correct answer by literally turning it on, pressing a button and waiting 10 seconds. I don't know what you mean by wrong, Dave. I mean, it says here in the answer key, I can't believe that this is incorrect, you know, so I must be the one that's mistaken. Must be. Who would dearly love to be Sonic's girlfriend? A. Me. <laughs> A. Rosie Nose. B. Oh. Amy Rose. Or C. Nosy Toes. <laughs> Martin? These oh, names. Uh, well, since the vast portions of the internet isn't an option, then I'm going to go with Amy Rose. <laughs> Dave? I'm also going to go with Amy Rose, but I do want to acknowledge that there's that bit of fan lore, isn't there, that she was once called Rosie the Rascal over in Japan, and what? that's just interesting. What's not what Rosie lore? Is. I mean, that, that is what they, they called her, isn't it? She's that. She's called that in Sonic oh. the Fighters. All right, well, there we go, mm. then. That, that must be I it. I want to give a shout-out to my partner, Marin, who did actually propose to Sonic back in the day uh, they wrote into uh, I think it was the Archie comic they wrote as like a nine year old back in the day they wrote would you marry me and never got a response so oh. Sonic ghosted my partner rude <sighs> tragic but Sonic has no time for love it's it's like something yeah. he would do that's yeah. true Sonic has a rabbit friend what is his full name <laughs> A. Johnny Rotten B. Johnny Lightfoot or C, Johnny Quickstep. Oh, that last name makes me think of the Yu-Gi-Oh character Johnny Steps, but <laughs> I don't believe that that's his full name, uh, Johnny Lightfoot. Dave? Johnny Lightfoot. Well done, everybody. Oh, God, I was so worried there that it was going to say Johnny Rotten or something. <laughs> Listen, 
<laughs> just well uh, mm. the tone has been set by question two so okay question five who is the keeper of the chaos emeralds knuckles buckles or chuckles <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to go with knuckles because obviously we know unlike sonic he, does he doesn't not chuckle. chuckle no <laughs> he'd rather flex his buckles so yeah it's knuckles it is knuckles question six what makes sonic so exceptional <laughs> a being a cool dude B, speed, or C, showing off. It's got to be all of the above, surely. Yeah, it's not an option. Okay, speed. It's, yes, speed, but, like, that's that's actually quite a tricky question. (laughs) Yes, I mean, a bullshit question might be another way to phrase it. (laughs) Speed is the given answer. Surely him being a blue hedgehog makes him exceptional. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Question seven, by what other name is Tails known? A. Miles Behind, B. Foxy Fox, or C. Miles Prower. Miles Prower. It is indeed Miles Prower, although Miles Behind does make him a Foxy Fox. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another one where they got it right. Good. (laughs) We have to point those out. Well, yeah. What is Dr. Robotnik's ship called? Okay. A. The Egghead. B, the death egg, or C, the death head. I want to take task with the question because it's not a ship. It's more like a space station, (laughs) but sure, I'll call it a death egg. Death egg. (laughs) Yes. I mean, see, I hear what is Dr. Robotnik's ship called, and I'm sure Dave, you went to the same place I did as Egomatic. Yeah. Mm, But no. Question nine. What is the full name of the pig, capital P, pig, who regularly appears with Sonic? And that's that's the exact phrasing. A. Porker Lewis. B. Porky Pig. Or C. Porker Bacon. Porker Lewis. Porker Lewis. Yes. I'm now at the point where I do have to check the answer key because I can't trust <laughs> anything anymore. Question <laughs> 10. Which character appeared with Sonic and can morph into different forms? This question doesn't work in an audio format. A. Metamorphia. B, Metamorphia, or C, Megatox? Question A, uh, let me spell A, Metamorphia, M-E-T-A-M-O-R-P-H-I-A, or B, M-E-T-I-M-O-R-F-I-A, or Megatox? This is the first one I'm going to have trouble with, but I, I want to say A, Metamorphia. Dave. And I will confirm that it is A, Metamorphia. Yes, yes that is the correct spelling of Metamorphia. <laughs> 11. Which zone in Sonic's world has no name? The no-name zone, the nameless zone, or the unnamed zone? <laughs> Hang on, what? what? This, is this a reference to a comic thing? It is, yes. It's oh, getting a little yeah. trickier into the second half now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say B, Nameless Zone. Dave? It is B, the Nameless Zone. It yes. is. But do they think it is? <laughs> well, they did, yes. They got this one right, too. That's the zone Tails comes from in Sonic the Comics lore. 12. A toxic liquid once flooded the chemical plant zone. What was its name? A, Toxo, B, Mega Muck. Or C, Mega Mac. B, Mega Muck. C, Mega Mac. I'm afraid oh, what? Dave has it. Mega yeah. Mac. What is a Mega Mac? Hang on, it, what? What yep. it is? I'm not sure who decided this. I don't think it's just STC. 
but it's the pink liquid in the chemical plant zone. You know, the water in the chemical plant zone. Yeah. That is Mega Mac, and it featured in an early issue where it turned into the mighty Megatox. Megatox. No, was he mighty? What was he? He was malignant. malignant. The malignant Megatox. Listen to that episode. Chris does a very good voice for him. (laughs) Here's a good one. Thirteen. What is Knuckles's main skill? Sure. Is it A, strength, B, speed, or C, flying ability? Of course, it would be easy to be tricked by this one because Knuckles glides, but that's <laughs> not flying, that's falling with style. So <laughs> I'm going to say A, strength. Dave? Definitely, definitely, given the fact that this describes you know, Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles separately... I'm saying A, but something about your tone, Chris. Yes, no, I'm afraid that it's speed. <laughs> Get lost! No, no, I mean, I can't argue with the answers in front of me. <laughs> Somebody lost! who knows more than I clearly compiled I this. At and least they have said it's speed. That it was gonna get it wrong and say flying ability because in the latest game he can glide. I at least thought that's what they would get wrong. Speed! His main ability! That's insane. Where's the floating island? A... In the sky, B, next to the Green Hill Zone, or C, above the water. <laughs> this is not fair. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with A, in the sky, because it is true. It is, but so is C? Like, yeah. it's in the sky above the water. Uh, let, let's, let's Where's make the it island, Dave? Let's make it interesting. I'm going to say C, above the water. It's in the sky. Ah, hey. thank goodness. <laughs> What attack does Sonic most frequently use to dispose of badniks? His super spin attack, his super speed attack, or his super sonic attack? Super spin attack. Dave? Super spin attack. Yes, it is his super spin attack. 16. What causes Sonic to turn into the mighty yellow Super Sonic? Extreme anger towards Robotnik? Absorbing too many rings? Or fighting too many badniks. I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but I do want to mention before I answer that Supersonic in the Sonic, the comic, is the only iteration of Supersonic that I enjoy because he just goes crazy. Correct. And he hates everything. But uh, I'm going to say, uh, I think it's probably going to be A, extreme anger toward Robotnik, but I don't know if that's even true. Dave? Okay. So, so before I actually give my answer, what I'm going to say is that... No beating around the bush, Dave! What's your answer? <laughs> we don't know. They've never told us. But I'm going to say, I guess in the games, you could argue B, absorbing too many rings. It is B, absorbing too many rings. I don't believe they've ever covered that in the comic. That's not quite right. That's not right. It's not wrong. Because you may recall, Dave, in the first appearance of Supersonic, Tails said that the one time he'd seen Sonic transform before was when he absorbed too many rings. Okay! Okay, so that's deep lore. But the modern understanding of Sonic's transformation is that it's caused by stress and anger. But that has... That's only happened, like... That's happened twice at this point. Yeah, But neither of those times could really be classified as extreme anger or fighting too many badniks. But it's really an incredible Hulk transformation. And of course, most readers would be saying in their heads... It's getting the Chaos Emeralds. Chaos Emeralds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not in the comic, though. No, to be fair, not in the comic. 17. Which three brothers working as electricians also work for Robotnik? <laughs> Is it the Gibb brothers, the Osmond <laughs> brothers, or the Marxio brothers? It's those Marxio <laughs> it's brothers. the Marxio brothers. It sure is. <laughs> 
In Sonic 3's Ice Cap Zone, what did Sonic ride on? Tin tray? Snowboard or ski jets? Oh, it would be such a Jason Bourne move of Sonic to do it on a tin tray. <laughs> but I'm going to say snowboard. Snowboard. It is a snowboard. The ski jets, that makes... He had some kind of like jet boots in one of the 80-bit games, didn't he? The Master System games. Did he? He did, yeah, yeah. I remember that being real difficult to control. If you'd like another difficult challenge, here's question 19. Where is Kintobor based? <laughs> a. Sonic's underground base. B. Sonic's secret base, <laughs> or C, Sonic's undersea world. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I want to say underground base, A. Dave. And I guess I'll take secret base because it's A and B, Sonic's <laughs> yeah. secret underground base. <laughs> well, I'm afraid the correct answer is A. <laughs> A. Oh, for a minute there, I thought you were going to say it was C, Sonic's Undersea yeah. World. <laughs> Sonic's Underground Base is what they've gone for. You know, we've got the last question here, and this could be interesting. Um, okay. Because this is a genuine, uh, this will stump you. Okay. Uh, and not for bad reasons. Which machine once made Sonic think that he was a human? Oh. Issue 17 this occurred in. A, the Brainless Box... B, the brain drain, or C, the hedgehog human converter. That is deep lore. Mm. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to conceive of a reason as to why someone would want to make Sonic think he was a human. <laughs> but uh, <sighs> This is the internet. <laughs> I'm going to say B, Brain Drain. I don't think I'm right. No, I'm going to say Brain Drain, and I think you are right, because Brainless Box is like... That sounds like they just made it up. And then Hedgehog yeah. Human Converter, it didn't actually do that. It just gave him a dream. It was the brain drain. Woo! Oh, nice. Sure guess, though, because I had to use logic. I couldn't remember. Yeah. So, our final tally is with 16 correct answers, <laughs> Martin, but with 17. Oh! It's just climbed in there. Yes! Clinched it. <laughs> Let me do a quick bit of maths. What the hell is that times that? How many rings did we absorb? <laughs> I hope it wasn't too many. Yeah. So there's a number of tiers that we might fall into, depending on how well we did. If we got 5 to 25 rings, we must be one of Robotnik's badniks. 30 to 55 is a good effort. However, more homework definitely needed. 60 to 85 rings would be excellent. A score achieved only by regular reading of my favourite publication, STC. Doesn't say who's writing this. Megadroid, I guess. Or 90 rings or more. A complete supersonic genius. You have the Mobius Factor and know more about me than the humes who work at STC. Fancy a job. Wait, I guess Sonic was writing the, uh, yeah, the, I guess. the yeah. thing there. Which does go to show how this was clearly compiled by somebody who had no idea what they were doing <laughs> if they were putting these words in Sonic's mouth because it should be Megadroid. But, um, yes, uh, Martin has 80 rings, Dave has 85, which puts you both in the second tier from the top. That's genuinely Excellent. a surprise. I would have thought we'd I thought I would have thought we'd both be in the top, or at least I would, as the host of a podcast dedicated <laughs> to this. I blame the quiz. Yeah. Yes, justifiably so. I think. What a <laughs> show. <laughs> what makes Sonic so exceptional? Bloody hell. <laughs> Compo. Three Sega Mega Drives to be won, 30 Virgin Interactive games to be won. In a bell jingling STC Crimbo Compo. A Crimbo Compo! <laughs> That's a good combo. You can win Cannon Fodder, Dino Dinny Soccer, Dragon, Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker, The Lion King, or Sensible Golf. Well, there's at least one good game in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's Dino Dini's Soccer, 
But Archer McLean is snubbed. No mention of him on Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker. They didn't have enough line space. No, you can't really say Archer McLean's Jimmy White's whirlwind snooker. Can Tom you? Clancy's. <laughs> Tom, Tom Clancy's sensible golf. It's just to spot the difference that you mail in. Yeah, except you don't because you would never cut out anything from... There's a comic on the back of this and a very good one as well. So you're not cutting this out. It's a really rubbish spot the difference too. Mm-hmm. It's Sonic fighting three... Um, what are they called choppers? Yeah, I think so. Have we got? Is that one of your badnik spotter cards, Dave? Yes, I've got some info about choppers. Um, it's a badnik type fish. Mm. Uh, it lives in the Green Hill and Bridge zones, bridge and it has a danger zone? rating of just the bridge. one. Yeah, they they aren't too tough. Well, Bridge Zone is eight bit Sonic, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> You must know it. Nope. Sorry. You can <laughs> What? Get the Master System Sonic soundtrack in you. It's really good. I just think it's really cheeky that the big central chopper on this spot the difference is missing three like spikes or scales, and each mm-hmm. one of those seems to count as a separate one oh, of really? the ten differences you have to spot. Sorry, eight differences, eight differences. Even though they're in the same bit of the chopper, even. Well, unless you can spot Enough of other differences, guys. <laughs> That's it. Um, so there's a spike on the back top chopper. There's the three spikes on the middle one. Yeah. Sonic's ear. That that little sort of extra middle spike. And how about we check back in with the boys after they've finished just doing a spot the difference puzzle together? And I'm just rubbish at spot the differences. <laughs> <laughs> But it's very difficult. This is one of those spots that... And they've done yeah. one of these before, where it's not like major differences. It really is. They've just erased one line, one mm. tiny line, and that's it. I mean, luckily, they haven't punished us with making it that one of the little, you know, zip line, bracket lines mm. showing you that where Sonic's gone is changed. I could have sworn it would be one of those two, but then... Mm. And Dave, bad news. Oh. The results of this one are just being pulled from the STC postbag. Oh, rubbish. Nothing to update the spreadsheet with, this issue. Oh, that's absolutely rubbish. But... Hey, they had to get a special bag in because, to be fair, three Mega Drives. That's a good set of prizes. Mm, good prizes. Some of the biggest prizes they've offered yet, apart from some so, of the yeah. really huge compos early on. I can't think of a single thing that I would rather have won from Sonic the Comic than a Mega Drive. That's the ultimate thing. Yeah, it kind of would be, oh, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I got you a treat. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> what? <laughs> What's that? Donuts! <laughs> Don't absorb too many rings there. Oh, that's lovely! That's got cinnamon sugar on it, that has. Stop showing oh, off, Jesus. I've got a ring donut in my hand. <laughs> oh, Should we move on? <laughs> yes. Okay. Megadroid is known for its unique capacity to adapt behavior. It explains why the internet is filled with rave reviews about the robot. And we're proud to say that Megadroid's accuracy rate is over 95%. But what does that actually mean, Megadroid does? Now, please pay attention because this is important. There are hundreds and hundreds of robots out there. You've probably stumbled across quite a few already today. We dare you. We are not a fly-by-night operation. Megadroid, written by Carl Flint, with art by Nigel Kitching and letters by Tom Frame. Megadroid takes the readers on a special behind-the-scenes tour of Sonic the Comic. Love this! There's no story here, this is just a sequence of gags and it's charming as all heck. 
I love this. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of uh, they had a lot of Marvel comics where they'd take you behind the scenes at Marvel headquarters and you'd have like Stan Lee in there and everything. And it feels very sort of meta and tongue in cheek and very cheeky as Sonic the comic often would be. Yeah. Each page is just Megadroid goes to the control zone, the review zone, the queue zone, and then into where the art humes work. And each panel is basically just its own little gag. <laughs> so look. The first thing that happens is we get a close-up on Megadroid. He's like, hello, I'm Megadroid. I'm at STC. I'm going to show you around. He's doing a keypad. He's poking numbers in. He's, you know, got one of those big wheels that lock big vault doors. He's turning that. He's like, oh, oh, talk about security because you're getting let into the office. And then the next page, nope, he's just on his way out of the toilet. And the <laughs> toilet says on it, drop zone. That is <laughs> top tier. I'm really happy with that. You know, I didn't realize he was coming out of the door. I thought he was coming yep. in through that black void behind him. Yeah. There. I thought that was the door. But no, I can That's see really the, funny. the wheel on the door. <laughs> no, you're right. The locking wheel is, is on the inside of the toilet door. <laughs> I think I was too busy laughing at the drop zone pun to, to really take in the scene. <laughs> it's great. God, Kitching's art is fantastic on this, oh. though. I don't know. I realized as I was reading this that so even though Megadroid appears in every issue of this damn thing from the mm. same piece of clip art over and over, when I close my eyes, it's Nigel Kitching's Megadroid <laughs> that I see. It's his yeah. illustration of the character in this is so spot on that it turns out this is what I imagine in my mind when I think of him. I love this. I, there's nothing I can do but say that I love it. Like, he walks into the control zone. There's the control zone. And it's like this massive bank of... Just the fact that it's an actual place in the office. It's a massive bank of mm. screens and terminals and chairs and things. And I just love the... I love this. I love this being visualized. Never have I ever thought about the control zone as like it was meant to be a place. A place it's just a page. Yeah. The review zone as an actual place. But here they are pictured and you get to see them all. And there's a, they do actually have sort of pictures from, you know, STC's history, as yeah, it were. Out and some screenshots places. coming up on all these screens. Interesting that I think in the control zone, there's a, a load of, like, I, I think actual screenshots. Yeah. yeah, those are actual. And then a couple that are just drawings. Yeah, well, the drawings are from previous issues. Well, are they? I mean, so you've got a first page, mm. the panel in the middle. You've got a James Pond 3 screenshot, I want to say. A Kid Chameleon. I don't know what the blue ballsy man is. Yeah, I don't know what that is myself. But then a drawing of what I'm guessing is a strike game, the helicopter, and a Streets of Rage, I'm guessing. Well, I'm not sure that those are drawings. I think those are screenshots that have had lines drawn over them. Streets of Rage definitely is. Really? Well, yeah, okay. I think so. Well, I can tell you for sure, because I'm on the, you know, the full res physical copy, that... They right. are drawings, but they could well be yeah. drawn over actual screenshots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, the line work is definitely real line work. The bottom left panel, what comic is that one on the right from with the guy's face? That's Wonder Boy. <laughs> yeah. Wonder Boy, okay. First few issues had Wonder Boy. It wasn't very good. Mm. But it got better then when it came back for the second go-round. But all the Sonic pictures here are from the Super Sonic issue. Yeah, and then there's just Brigadoon. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea is somebody was watching the show instead of working. Yeah, I guess. I think so. I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a gag and somehow related to the fact that nobody seems to be here. Oh! Like Megadroid comments on how suspiciously quiet the offices are. Oh, that's meta as hell. Yeah, but I don't think it is. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no. And then he goes to the queue zone and it's the, it's the cafe. Because it's where it's he queues for his eats. <laughs> microchips, and get it, boomers. Hey, microchips. <laughs> and then you go to the art zone, and it's just like a couple of desks where the artists are supposedly sitting and drawing with a little 
post-it note stuck on, or a little note stuck on a page saying, I'll finish it tomorrow, honest, Nigel. And then, a gag I really enjoyed. Megadroid goes up to one of these desks, and there's what reads in the modern day as some sort of tablet on it. And mm. he goes, that arty stuff's not as hard as it looks, at least not with our state-of-the-art graphic technology. And the camera looks over his shoulder, and he's got an Etch-a-Sketch. And he's drawn a little <laughs> Sonic with an Etch-a-Sketch. Do they still make Etch-a-Sketches? I don't know! Oh, I hope so. That was a beloved childhood toy. <laughs> Yeah, I can't tell how beloved it was for me because I absolutely couldn't do it. But I always would sit there trying. <laughs> I had one, like, ah. but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't draw anything, so I had to make up a narrative instead. So my etch sketch was a story about a little microdot guy that would <laughs> leave a line behind him as he went, you know? Although I did, we met this kid once who was like 14 and he could use an etch sketch to draw stuff. So you'd say, draw this, and he just would. The man was a genius. Yeah. I bet there's Crazy. some really impressive YouTube videos with etch sketches oh, on them. I've bet. never thought about it ever before this precise oh, wow. moment. I bet there is. <laughs> Can you identify everything that falls out of the reference cupboard when Megatroid opens it? Well, I can un- identify someone. Let's, Martin, see what you can recognize. What do you got? Oh, God, you got Golden Axe. Yeah. This is all stuff that he opens the cupboard and it all just topples out their mm. reference material yeah. that they draw from. You got a decap attack head, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bloody hell. Oh, these are, there's Knuckles' glove. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what the crystal is. What is that crystal? That's I think a I know. Glyph from Echo the Dolphin. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. Oh, gosh. No, I'm drawing a blank on most of it. Dave? Okay. So we've got a Fez. That must be from Fez Ed from Pirate STC. Presumably. There's right in the back, uh, Johnny's staff. Mm. We've got, and now I don't know what it is, but the upside down dragon head staff, that's from Golden Axe, right? That... That's from Eternal Champions. That is Xavier's staff from <gasps> Eternal Champions. Of course. Okay. We've had the Golden Axe. There seems to be an egg at the top, which is just an egg. It's just Robotnik, a, uh, an egg. A big egg. And I don't know what it's from. <laughs> a, a big, big egg. egg. It's Amando Yunucci. Um, no, I know what that is. <laughs> there's um oh the trident arm from also eternal champions yeah, right triton's That's... arm from eternal yeah. champions there's a sword is that joe musashi's sword i assume it must, it must be. be is the skateboard gonna be from kid chameleon i assume it is you're acting uh, like i've checked i, I don't, don't know, know. i was <laughs> asking you you just remember things and know things which are yeah. functions my brain doesn't do um tails is old armor mm, that you can pull some letters yeah. out of that Amy's shoes? They are Amy's shoes, yeah. Way. And a helmet from out of the uh, the scrummage football men. Uh, what are they called? Mutant League. Mutant League. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> scrummage football men. Scrummage football men. Scrummage football men. Which is something from every previous strip. Except for Wonder Boy, which makes me wonder if the egg is supposed to be related to Wonder Boy somehow, but I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I can't think how. No, neither can I. It's just an egg. Did that dragon have any eggs? They were dinosaurs. That's right. I mean, they have any eggs? do also <laughs> lay eggs, but not, not that I can remember, no. Arguably, they do it more than dragons. Arguably so. <laughs> So that was a fun game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there we go. And it pans out and it's like, Merry Christmas to you all. And it's nice. Yeah. What a good comic. He goes to the Speedlines offices, the final gag where uh, there's sacks and sacks of letters. And he says, those darn humes claim that no one writes to me. Sire Circuits, you ask my opinion. It can be a strain on the circuits being so popular, but the fan letters are very supportive. And he opens one and he says, Library records show the following items are overdue. <laughs> How very festive. Ah, and a Merry Christmas to you all as well. <laughs> See, this is pure Christmas special material. 
Yes! Yeah. This is the weird little outsider stories that take you behind the scenes. It is a little special event where the mascot character... I'm sure Tharg must have had a strip of his own in 2000 AD on special occasions. It must mm. have happened. You're right. It happened. So I'm going to guess this is probably my favourite Carl Flint strip so far. What's Carl given us before? I don't think he's written anything before. What? This is the... F- what? This is Carl Flint's first appearance in the... No, because oh, he's he an draws. artist. He's an artist. Yeah, he does all the covers usually, but he's never. I don't think he's ever written anything before. Well... He's great. Yeah, it's great. You know, like, <laughs> it's not a story. No. It's like the sort of strip you might get in the Beano. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's great crack. And I mean, yeah. Nigel's art sells it so hard as well. This script feels like it fits with Nigel's artwork. Oh, so much so. This is a great match of art and writing style. Mm, wonder if it happens again. I think Megadroid gets one more strip many, many years from now, and Kitching probably doesn't draw it. I'm sure you've heard all the buzz around Megatroid Robot, so the main question is, is it better than fapping? When one robot has a bad day, I review different systems to introduce good robots to you. Bottom line, Megatroid is rather good, and it can be a good complement to turbo fapping. Have a nice day, and take care. Battle Wagon Zone. We open up the center pages of the comic for a double page spread that's just a great big drawing of that battle wagon out of Streets of Rage. Check it out, dudes! The awesome weaponry of the vehicle used by Axel Blaze Maxenscapes is revealed for the first time! One thing's for sure, if you see this coming, it ain't delivering pizzas! Oh my also, god! Uh, apostrophes there. <laughs> they went there. That does feel like a pretty specific kind of like pizza thrower caught it probably isn't yeah. but it just matches no. with it so well but it's a big drawing of it with all mm. of them sort of either sitting in it or working on it or carrying things to load it up with it's notionally a technical cutaway but it's really not that's yeah. A, yeah, yeah there's a few patches where you can see no yeah. but it's just got numbers all over it and a key 37 millimeter Baradon Browning recoilless cannon, infrared target locking night sight, hydraulic orbital plexon gun cupola, retractable roof, auto tracking smart searchlight, weapons rats, reinforced plexiglass windscreen, city shore auto mapper, 20 millimeter twin mounted cyclotron cannon, high velocity oil projector, plastiline double density crash, anti riot grill, wall buster, smoke discharger, ammunition bay, a battle wagon. Yeah, it's like Larry Hammer wrote this thing. <laughs> and that is an STC exclusive cutaway. Thrilling stuff. Thrilling. <laughs> you won't get this in any of the other things that, of course, you wouldn't get this in. <laughs> I got nothing. What is plastiline? No. Plastiline double plastiline. density crash pods. What is pla- I googled it. That's not a word. Must be some sort of unobtainium style it, yeah. material. Sounds like plasteel or, yeah. or whatever the Star Wars name for the shit they make their windows out of is. <laughs> Plasteel is certainly from something, so let's say Star Wars. <laughs> You're thinking of Transparent Steel. Plasteel is opaque. There you go. Just the It's a top and bottom affair. Top of this one is another one of those Subutio um, adverts. And the mm-hmm. codology, the tautology that's quoted this time is from Vinnie Jones. Don't know what the fuss is about. I wasn't even booked. No, these no. are getting worse. Some of the, no. these used to be vaguely amusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the, maybe the footy fans recognise that and do a little wry chuckle when they read it. Mm, he must have done <laughs> something bad. Must have done, yeah. <laughs> X-Men 3. I feel like I do recognise that. Like, he properly 
did something like kick someone in the face or something and that he was joking about the fact that he didn't get a card for it or whatever when it was a... I'm pretty sure that's probably what it's going for, yeah. Yeah, that's vaguely familiar. Have you ever played Sabutio, Martin? <laughs> uh, no, uh, nothing like that. I, I played the game where... The, the foosball, I think it's mm. called, where you have the table and you flip the... Sure, the yeah. Football oh, players. Right. Table football. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. The one that you got at Scout Huts. Yes, so. yes. We didn't play it either. We just, you know, we don't know how it works. Yeah, he just <laughs> waggled it about. <laughs> I remember the adverts where you'd flick the guy mm. and he'd kick the ball, but it didn't look feasible to me. <laughs> it no, didn't I, look like... Yeah, maybe one day we'll have somebody on who yeah. played it and can explain yeah. it to us. <laughs> maybe one day, when all of this is over, you and me, Chris, we'll have a game of Sabutia. <laughs> That'll be the final episode, yeah. We'll live stream, stream it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring, <laughs> bringing it all to a close. It all came down to this. <laughs> and the bottom half of the page is for the 2000 AD yearbook. Mm. Bit of Fleetway parlance there. Mm. Featuring brain dazzling doses of pure, unrefined thrill power. Yeah. Inside Rogue Trooper Tharg. Oh, Tharg. Well, there you go. Tharg must have had a strip, but answered. There Ask you go. Answered. There we go. <laughs> Rogue Trooper, Tharg, Robo Hunter, and Judge Dread. 96 pages with a double gatefold painted cover for only five ninety five. Five ninety five. Hey. Garlic bread. That's a bit much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is more pages than we've got here, admittedly. Like, quite a lot more. Even so, six pounds. What childhood? Well, children didn't buy 2000 AD, but who had six pound lying around? Uh, well, it's an annual, isn't it? You get it for Christmas, don't you? Well, it's, it is and it isn't. That's the thing. Like, it's not, it's not the nice hardback book that you were going to get from that your granny was going to buy when she went to the bookshop, you know? It's got a gatefold cover, so that's a magazine. I'm assuming it's a perfect bound yeah. magazine rather than a stapled one, but this is a newsy job. Right, there you go, because I was starting to wonder, did one publisher have the rights to the word annual or something? Because as well as Fleetway using yearbook, the DC Thompson ones, the famous Beano annual, that was actually called the Beano book and the dandy book. But uh, yeah, no, it's just that it's a slightly bigger book. But our yearbook... At the Sonic yearbook. Mm. That was an annual. Well, it was released in hardback and paperback, remember? Yeah, all right. But going by the hardback, that counts as an annual. Yeah, sure. I mean, I suppose, yeah, it was whether or not it had a hardback or a paperback was a big defining yeah. factor in yeah. whether you thought of it as an annual or not, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Funny, I just noted, it on sale from August 25th. So this oh. has been on sale for three months already. Yeah, or it won't be on sale for way too long to bother <laughs> advertising it here. Well, that's the thing. Like, I suppose... I don't know, maybe it was available in bookshops then, because, yeah, annuals, you thought of them as Christmas things, mm. because that's what when you got them, that's mm. what they were for. Yeah. But, yeah, they did come out in the summer, so that and then would be on shelves for people to buy for Christmas. I'm sure I even remember Beano and Dandy annuals that I had, where the cover art was them decorating a tree and stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. Ah, uh, comics from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knuckles. Carnival Night Conspiracy Part 3 Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Elita Fell The Marxio brothers try to bump off Knuckles by throwing hazard after hazard at him while he rides the Carnival Night ghost train From axe-wielding knights to mud monsters to all kinds of creeps and ghouls But Knuckles thinks it's all part of the ride and enjoys smashing the monsters so much that he agrees to let the Marxios stay on the floating island We've talked about this knuckle strip for two issues now, so I want to throw this one over to Martin to just chat about the Richard Elsoniness of it all. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. When I think of Sonic, his art is yeah. what immediately springs to mind. It's so wonderful, it's so alive, it's just the gorgeous colours and the character designs are just 10 out of 10. 
And uh, I do love the Marxio brothers. Like I, as a child, I was still sort of getting to grips with the idea of parody, like the idea that you could take something and like reconstruct it and present it as sort of a humorous thing. And so being able to recognize that these were very clearly homages to, at the very least, the Mario brothers, and that there was some sort of cheeky nonsense going on there referencing Nintendo properties. As a kid, I was like, I felt like I was in on an inside joke of sorts. So it was uh, it was kind of a lot of fun. Was this the first Knuckles standalone comic? It was, yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember being very excited. Just the Knuckles logo yeah. at the top yeah. of the first page, seeing that by himself, I was like, that's so cool. I know. Yeah, it's a fun little idea. I do like that Knuckles uh, gets a kick out of the ride and he likes it so much he's going to keep it around. Which is a uh, doesn't seem very in character for Knuckles in general, but it's a cute little ending. Yeah, it's a weird kind of beat, isn't it? Where it's like I get the idea of Knuckles, fighty man, liking the idea of being having something to punch put in front of him. So yeah. I kind of get it in that regard. But you know, it's when the final bit of the ride is him literally being catapulted into open air and then having to save his own life by using an axe wedged in the cart by an animatronic knight to hook himself onto safety, otherwise he'd be splattered. Like, it's a... The rest of the ride, you can appreciate that maybe he just misunderstands and smashes the monsters and he would right. maybe think nothing would have happened if he hadn't. What does he think would have happened if he hadn't actively <laughs> taken, you know, matters well, into his own hands and saved his life? My headcanon for this, but... Uh, no, I, not even headcanon. Like, I think this is a, a decent interpretation of it. Is that, like, this is Knuckles getting excited about civilization for the first time. He's never seen it yeah. before. And so he doesn't know that that's not what they do in civilization. Like, that they don't... <laughs> <laughs> sort of throw obstacles at each other and he's like wow because he fits right in this is his skill set he can punch stuff he can glide he can catch himself he can survive things and he's only ever had to do it on this deserted paradise with nobody to fend off and now i don't know i can see knuckles going for this it's like yeah this is great yeah i suppose as i said i can see knuckles enjoying the aspects of it when you think about it this is probably the first time knuckles has ever had fun in his life yeah yeah exactly <laughs> which yeah. is tragic in a way i know but it's yeah. nice to see him letting his guard down a bit and having fun it is a little bit isn't it yeah our version of knuckles like our perception of knuckles as this stoic isolationist character who doesn't have fun outside of yeah. defending my island or yeah, yeah, getting yeah. to have some fun it's quite charming to watch him do it in a way you kind of forgive the fact that it's nonsense <laughs> here he is reacting to the things around him thinking like oh this is all just part of an innocent ride getting completely duped into you know what it is it's himbo knuckles <laughs> <laughs> we got him <laughs> <sighs> I'd mentioned to Dave the other day, but I love that Knuckles at one point says, I wonder if the Marxios were taking the Mickey yes! <laughs> when they said that this was a white knuckle ride. It's such, uh, there's a dissonance there of, of hearing Knuckles' voice saying, taking the Mickey. <laughs> oh yeah, we've talked on the show before about how we would have our own voices in our heads or when we would read the comics out for exactly how the characters would sound and yeah there's a britishness to so many of the characters where you know we definitely imagine stc's tales was british but sonic was somehow still american even though he would say things like do me a favor and taking the mickey and stuff like that don't really know we've never really talked about knuckles's voice have we Dave? well that's the thing up till now there is no such thing as knuckles's voice in these old days and like um mm. 
I don't know. I definitely don't know what I was imagining, but it was gruffer. Mm. Then the rest of them. It was yeah, gruff. Yeah, deeper. gruff was very much the word. Yeah. Well, we all agree on that at least. <laughs> gruff. Now that we've got taking the Mickey, I'm comfortable thinking of him as a bit Eastenders. Bit Eastenders, <laughs> it you slag. <laughs> you slag. Poking around my island, is it? <laughs> that slag, Doctor Robotnik. In about with my emeralds. <laughs> with his knickknacks. I love the bit where Knuckles sees skeletons and bats and spiders, so his solution to the problem is to hit the ceiling so that rocks fall on top of everything, including the track in front of him, yeah. likely causing even more hazards. Oh, wait, yeah. I love the Marxio's uh, commentary throughout this as well. The whole issue is just Knuckles on the ghost train. While the Marxios watch his progress and throw more and more hazards in his way, and it's Chikio who's at the controls and Groucho offering the usual snarky commentary, you know. So yeah, right after the rockfall is dropped on all of the ghouls, Chikio says, It's not a working boss. What do you want me to do? Well, the next time you cross the street, don't look both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Guys! Did you even notice the ongoing story with the spider? Because I didn't. What's the spider story? Go back to go back to page one. Page one of Knuckles and look at is it Harpio the horn honking one? Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. There's a spider on Harpio's horn. And then every time you see Harpio, the spider is somewhere. I didn't notice it. The spider has moved on his body. The next time you see him, it's dangling off his nose. And then on the final page, it's got up on his hat. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a nice little Halloween touch for this Christmas special. <laughs> There's nothing like that anywhere else in STC. That's not like a Richard Elson thing. That's great. That's almost kitchen-y. <laughs> but yeah, it is a bit. It's a little bit what a mess. Oh, that's great. But I guess we just know that Knuckles would have a good time at Blackpool Pleasure Beach now. <laughs> we do, yeah. <laughs> News And what do we find in the news section, in the gaming news of the end of 1994, Chris? Yeah, it's just lengthy enough columns on uh, Domark's Bloodshot, a shooter like Doom, and uh, US Gold's Power Drive, which were exclusive to Europe. Actually, both of these, funnily enough, they only came out in the US via that online Sega channel service. Again, speaking to how we were in this already, somehow, in this peculiar transitional phase where stuff was coming out here because the Mega Drive was king and ruled all, mm. and then in other parts of the world they were trying to get moved on already. God, that's interesting. I'd never heard of Bloodshot. Mm. When I looked it up, apparently it was also released as Battle Frenzy. Presumably that's the Sega Channel version, is it? No, no, no. But I hadn't heard of that either, so... No, it just it looks like what it is, which is someone trying to make another Doom. It's the yep. one of the early yeah. Doom clones. Very bold claim right at the top there where it says Doom Beta? Question mark. And it's like, Doom is still around. Yes. This game, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was playing <laughs> Doom like two days ago. <laughs> Similar story over in the short bursts. Promoting ports of Marco's Magic Football to Mega CD and Game Gear. Again, something that only came out in Europe. Which opens with the phrase, Ooh, ah, uh, Marco, ah. Uh, the world's crappiest attempt at mimicking one of those football chants. Marco R. What the hell? Marco R. Who are Marco R? Get lost. That's bad. Then there's one for Virgin's Cannon Fodder 2. That was an Amiga port, which Mm -hmm. did not wind up coming out. Oh, that's a shame. The Amiga game happened. It certainly did, because I had it. Oh, the Amiga! But the port never happened. It never happened. And then finally, the Animaniacs game for Mega Drive. This one did come out. (laughs) 
least something on this game out. I actually went and looked this one up on YouTube just because I had a yen to uh, hear the Animaniacs theme tune in 16-bit. <laughs> they also mention that games with Daffy Duck and Speedy Gonzalez are coming up in the future too. Those came out as Daffy Duck in Hollywood and The Cheese Cat Astrophe starring Speedy Gonzalez, which was another thing that was only in Europe. Except for the Game Gear version, which came out in America. Because as we've mentioned on this show before, they just feel obliged to bring out games for every single Looney Tunes character for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what I was just saying the other day on Twitter, where they've just... We've talked about I mean, Animaniacs, and we mentioned Tiny Toons briefly yeah. on here already, but they're just after announcing some plans for some kind of Tiny Toons reboot. Yeah. And I'm not sure how well Tiny Toons works at a period in time, in a culture, in a generation, when the Looney Tunes characters aren't ever-present cultural icons anymore, as they were back in the 90s yeah. when we would make video games out of every single one of them. Yeah. Apparently, the gist behind the new show is that it's set... It's called Tiny Tunes Acme Luniversity, mm. so I don't know if it's a follow-up. where it's like the Tiny Toons themselves are like the main stays and like the old Looney Tunes characters aren't. Mm. I don't know, but I was a big fan of Tiny Toons oh, back yeah. in the day, so I'm happy oh, for yeah. more content. I just, yeah, like you say, I don't know if it's in the zeitgeist, so to speak. I mm. am way more interested in the new Tiny Toons than I am in new Animaniacs. Yes. Yeah. We, I mean, Animaniacs yes. was so of its time. Yeah. You know, it, it, the things it skewered. Yeah. Although, well, Animaniacs is comedy shot more for that nudge, nudge, wink, wink for the parents at home type stuff, and Obviously, that that was very, very specifically of its time in a way that Tiny Toons wasn't. So yeah. I don't know. Let's see how they age. Essentially, I mean, it's very easy to update Animaniacs yeah. for modern times and make the comedy be about things today. With the side effect being that people who are adults today will get the jokes, but when they were children, they didn't get half the jokes, and will think that people have inserted politics into their <laughs> Animaniacs. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact it was always there. You were just seven. I mean, Bill Clinton literally played the sax, played the sax every single yeah. episode. <laughs> sweet, sweet, you're so sweet. Sweet, sweet, you're so sweet. Amy! <laughs> In Good Hands, written by Lou Stringer, with art by Roberto Corona. Bob Corona! And colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Steve Potter. As the Freedom Fighters head out to deal with a bad Nick attack in the chemical plant zone, Sonic instructs Amy to stay behind in the Green Hill Zone, believing she can't look out for herself in a fight. Amy is annoyed by Sonic's chauvinism, but she doesn't have time to dwell on it as a swarm of buzz bombers descend on the zone. Realizing that Sonic has been lured away by a false alarm to leave the zone open to attack, Amy loads up her crossbow and defends the Green Hill on her own. So this is unassuming, but actually quite momentous. Mm. I mean, it's, it's momentous in the sense that it's, you know, an Amy strip in and of itself. Mm. But this is Lou Stringer's first Amy strip, which would essentially be, like, the main second strip yeah. for a huge chunk of STC's history going forward. Yeah, and here it is presented as a sort of like, and also this, since we've got more pages. And also a special Christmas bonus, yeah. The other way that it's unassuming is that this is way closer in the way the story is to what you would expect the Tails strip to be, you know? Yeah. Everything's fine, and then Sonic goes off to do something, and the secondary character is left on their own, and oh dear, actually the Badniks are here attacking and they have to fend for themselves. The actual Tails strip was this bonkers thing, either set in another dimension of fantasy and goblins, mm. or 
just a completely irrelevant story about this other team of people fighting in the chemical plant zone. <laughs> in a sense, then, it occurs to me for the first time, what a relief that the tail strip did make such a weirdo choice. <laughs> because what on earth would they have made an Amy strip about yeah. if Tails hadn't left the obvious premise free? An yeah. Amy strip might have wound up being the weirdo strip about things that weren't really about her. <laughs> There's one line Amy has in this comic where she says, Hmph, hedgehogs when Sonic leaves. Yeah. And I gotta ask, what is Amy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a huh, men sort of joke, isn't it? But it's hedgehogs. Is she not a hedgehog? But yes, Amy is in fact a yeah. hedgehog. I mean, the whole sort of attitude here of Sonic not thinking she can look after herself, you know, uh, Amy makes the remark, we've already been on lots of dates, and Sonic says, don't kid yourself. You got captured a few times and I had to bail you out. I'd hardly call that dating. And Amy says that she doesn't need rescued every time. What about that time she helped with a mission to the Marble Garden Zone, which was in Sonic the Poster Mag number six, which we haven't covered yet. We don't know yet, that. So we're, no. we're all out of synchronicity now. Oh, dear. We're saving off. I never, I didn't expect any kind of crossover with the Poster <laughs> Mags. We'd probably have kept doing them in individual episodes yeah. if we'd realized it would throw the continuity off. Poster Mags <laughs> don't matter. <laughs> so I guess that was technically Stringer's first real go with Amy. Because it stands out to me now so much, realising that this is Stringer's first Amy and, and the, the precursor of so much to come that he'll mm -hmm. do with the character, how much Kitching has basically completely ignored her. He did her introductory story, which was immediately followed by a second story in which she was kidnapped, which was immediately followed by the adaptation of Sonic CD in which she was kidnapped, and then absolutely nothing with the character ever since. I suppose she's just been a freedom fighter since then, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you look at the Robotnik's Revenge story, she and Tails had already left. She yeah. wasn't even in that to be part of the fight. Yeah. Biggest contribution he's made to her is gave her a crossbow. That will turn out to be one of the main things about her in STC. Mm. Also, in this strip, much fanfare made about the fact that she has a new outfit. Yes, the uh, Control Zone mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, which is a yellow dress with pink flowers all over it, and she's got a sort of black t-shirt on underneath that. There you go. That's new outfit. It's strange that that's the big new look when it's mm. just sort of some clothes. It's not like a, wow, check out this new costume we've spent ages on. It's just, yeah, she's wearing this. Well, Amy will go through a couple of looks in mm. STC. When you think of Amy's STC look, it's kind of the white shirt with the red heart on it and the green yeah. skirt. But she has a couple of others too, and by the end of it, I'm not even sure if she had a consistent look from issue to issue. I think she might have put on different clothes just from issue to issue. I'm not sure. But this isn't a great look. Although I feel like we would see this again somewhere, even if it was just on a cover. So I wonder if, is the purpose of this to give her modern clothes is this what girls were dressing like mm -hmm. in the 90s or not i don't know i wasn't paying any attention to anything to do with them we were in a chemise over a wee shirt i think that was a thing <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> as you said back at the start david with deborah tate in the editor's chair now that probably had something to do with amy getting a strip at this point because she would be a force behind amy yes. and amy's general portrayal in the thing i mean maybe that is why kitching wound up not doing anything with the character because his plan to portray amy as a, as a sort of uh, Martin, you may not know this, Kitching's original plan for Amy was to play her as a sort of dizzy dame from like a golden age of Hollywood movie who aggravated Sonic with her wild and wacky ways. Oh. But Deborah Tate wanted a more respectable role model for the girls reading the comic on account of Amy was the only sure. female character in the comic. And that in turn then was why we would have techno added to the comic as well. So there were more women in the comic. 
And you do wonder if perhaps Tate asked for a, a different outfit for her as well. And the thing is, Deborah was right on the money because oh, yeah. a couple of years in, we get the Spice Girls and Amy and Techno kind of just sort of somehow managed to slot in with that. Yeah, girl power. Yeah. If I recall right, Sonic the Comic would do its own Spice Girls parody, wouldn't it? The Spice Maidens. What? Some kind of Captain Plunder story. I don't remember anything about it. No. <laughs> but again, as far as actual content of the strip goes, this is just sort of another Amy gets insulted and then fights some buzz bombers. Yeah. Lovely looking buzz bombers, I thought. I mean, yeah. coloured again with the buzzer colour scheme of black and yellow with red accents. Well, okay, but at least they haven't got a little funnel on their bellies. Yes, they've been drawn correctly with the abdomen guns instead of Mike Hadley's tummy nipples. <laughs> oh, that, and we've got got the name for the episode mike hadley's tummy nipples nipples. (laughs) (laughs) sign the gong (laughs) i like that the one drawback to her fighting these things is she only made three bolts yes and the six badniks i like that i like that little touch though because as i say kitching introduced the idea of amy having the crossbow Mm. but it was just something she had suddenly Whereas the way Stringer writes this, it's almost as if we were being introduced to the crossbow for the first time here. It's Mm. played up as how it's her signature weapon, that she actually fashions Mm. the bolts for herself. That's such a little thing, but it adds so much to the character of her and her special weapon. Totally. And she has this little trick at the end where she uh, runs out of bolts, and it looks like she's been chased off the edge of a cliff. But what she's actually doing is just jumping to a slightly lower outcropping on the cliff, and the buzz bombers all come soaring overhead and just blap straight into the cliff face on the opposite side and explode. I got a couple of things to say about the artwork in this story. Mm, I like the art in this. I like Corona's work on this one, yeah. I like the artwork. It's nice. So I particularly like the three Amys at the bottom of page two. You've got one where she's grumpily kicking a stone, Mm. and it's just a nice drawing. You've got one where it's like an overhead view of her kind of grumping, like lying on the ground and having a sulk. And the reason it's an overhead view is the a badnik is casting its shadow over. So in the third, we get her looking up with that shadow cast over her. And it's a bit of that colour work that I like. She goes blue, yeah. but it reads as, as shadow. Mm. Immediately, very recognisable picture of Amy. And at first I thought that that was because it's the one that they used in the little... Um, you know, in the box last ep- issue where it says, like, Amy's treat or whatever it was in the control zone. I think it is that one. But also, it looks like it's also the one that's used on her own... Masshead. Yeah, but cleaned up a little bit. Yeah. But it's a great drawing. That little tiny kick of a stone on the ground mm. in the first one of those panels. It's like her tiny, stumpy little leg going, yeah. almost <laughs> like there's no knee there, as if there's just yes. one joint that the leg bends on. Yeah. You know, it's adorable. And that is how you kick stones when you cross. Yeah. <laughs> in a cartoon, at least. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to do is I want you to look at the first and last page of this strip. Specifically, I think Bob Corona has done here an absolutely bang-up job of showing us the back of Sonic. Probably my favourite back of Sonic of the whole comic so far. Yeah, that does look pretty well. It's really nice. It's clearly following the same style guide that Elson is working from. Actually, I don't know if you saw it, Dave. Somebody did post to Twitter the image of the style guide Elson works from when he draws ah. that weird behind view yeah. of the kind of like the of circle the and the drooping. With, mm. And he's drawing that bang on exactly what it was supposed to look like. So that wasn't even an Elson invention. Right. But here Corona has to draw that but also from above. I actually have a theory as to why they look so nice. And I want you to, again, really have a look at those two drawings. And Mm -hmm. it just reminds me so much of this. The toy Sonic that came with the Boots Christmas Crackers that year. It had just come out, I think, 
It was in the shops now, and if you look at the back of him, it has all the hallmarks of being mm-hmm. what Bob actually used to copy for these angles. Yeah, if I you turn know, it that around, really does look like he could have had that and physically referenced it. See it, what I mean? Even, even the slightly rounded <sighs> texture of it seems like it's exactly. In the they're short-looking spines. They're round. They're soft-looking. They're lovely-looking. This is a lovely figure of Sonic. Oh, I f- <laughs> love this. It's, it's, it's like nearly my fa- it was my favorite Sonic 3D depiction for donkey's years but of course recently there have been some quite good ones yeah I, I reckon I reckon that might you be could it could be right there yeah. if we ever bump into him we'll ask him yeah. and then it's got a very Tales-ish ending doesn't it where Sonic yeah. and Co return just after all the action is over well actually rather it's a little Tales-ish in that way and that Sonic will never know what happened but rather because Sonic won't believe it Amy is confident enough in herself that yeah. she doesn't feel the need to be mm. a Sonic about it and boast about what she's done she's like Sonic says anything exciting happened while we've been away and Amy's just nothing I couldn't handle <laughs> Pin up. This is something. This is a rather elaborate one from my kid. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a full page picture. And like previously when we've had pinups, it's usually Sonic running, isn't it? Or Sonic being there in some way. This is a a whole like picture. This is an illustration with a situation going on. Sonic is only an afterthought in it. What it is, is it's a full page picture of on Christmas Eve, Presumably, because there's Christmas cards laid out everywhere and he's got, like, presents on him. So it could be Christmas night, because he's already opened them. Dr. Robotnik is asleep, covered in fuzzy toys of badniks that the badniks have given him. And there's a label saying as much. And he's dreaming about having tied Sonic to a load of dynamite on a timer. (laughs) And, well, it's on timer, but he's also got a little button to press to set it all off. And he's got a plaster over his mouth so he can't talk. And that's Dr. Robotnik's Christmas dream. <laughs> it is very Looney Tunes. It is very in keeping with sort of the more Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog mm, yes. style thing that Robotnik might do. Yeah. And he's got a little Wee Willy Winky sleeping cap on. Yeah, perfectly over the top of his nasty cone head. <laughs> yeah. I completely misread the note on the gift, and I thought it said that it was from his dad, Nick, but <laughs> oh. it's from a bad Nick. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it's dad, like... Nick. <laughs> and he's got Christmas cards lined up on the table. But they're kind of obscured by a little Christmas tree and a clock. So the first one says Merry Christmas. It's a couple of baubles. The next one probably says Let It Snow. Let it, it says snow. Let It S. And then what does the last one say? I mean, it rhyme? Something Crimbo? Maybe. Crimbo! You, you can see Crim. And I was thinking crime. Crimbo. I don't know what the rest of it is. It's- I can only see R on the scans. It doesn't have the edge of the image. Oh, really? Oh, well. I do like that in the dream, Robotnik's face looks happy, but also kind of like, what have I done? He looks kind of shocked <laughs> by what he's done. Oh, this is a nice one from Hadley. Uh, I like the fuzzy badniks. That's, yes. that's what that's what they've given him for Christmas. Yeah. It's like stuffed badnik toys. Yeah. And it's a buzz bomber, or what what Hadley's art would call a motobug. And a splats. A splats. And that worm thing from the Mystic Cave Zone. Wait, is it from the Mystic Cave Zone? I think so. Doesn't it puff out some smoke or something? Yeah. I remember what you call it. Let me check my Badnik spotter cards. No, it's not on those. I don't not think. on those. Not this issue. No. I like that the clock in the background has like a really wonky hour hand. It's pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? I didn't see that. 
They've oh, all got yeah. like curved oh, yeah. heads on them. They're like fully like melted over. What on earth is that all about? This is actually like the most Christmassy thing in the entire special, isn't it? It is. <laughs> like there have been mansions of Christmas everywhere else, but this is just a solid page of Christmas. This is the festive pinup. They didn't call the other one a festive pinup, did they? I don't think so, but it wasn't, so fair enough. No, I know, but uh, it was a star pinup. Oh, uh, of course it was. Because it had Sonic on it. Like Robotnik's lower lip like his whole like jaw looks like a wash basin it's just so <laughs> round oh yeah it's a massive. tub isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah it's like the top of his head's just balancing on a sink somehow it communicates the smile better <laughs> yes. it's like if it was just solid teeth and there was no yeah. black space it would just look inescapably evil somehow but the hanging jaw just somehow conveys that well, he is properly asleep. To me, it conveys snoring, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm imagining his entire, yeah. is it, like, all the way down to his chin is wobbling and vibrating as he snores. No, yeah, I mean, no need to dwell here. It's, um, there are Christmas special. It's a complete solution to the Jungle Book. This is part one of that. So it's another one of those very dry press, write, and jump walkthroughs that they do wow. from time to time. You didn't have the Jungle Book, did you, Martin? Oh, I rented it from Blockbuster, and I remember enjoying it. For some reason, I enjoyed a lot of old games when they had voice clips mm. in them. For some reason, that was a big highlight for me when I could hear people speaking in the yeah. game. So I remember there's like a stage where it starts off and you have to run away from the monkeys and you hear one of them go, it's Baloo the bear! And I was like, that's so cool that they're talking. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I remember the first PlayStation game I ever played was Crash Bandicoot 2. And it starts like with a cinematic of Neo Cortex's head appearing and then he just starts talking in the voice of Clancy Brown. And I'm like, video games can do this now? <laughs> they can make talk happen fully and properly? I was just used to the occasional, you know, barely synthesized speech clip mm. from time to time. I remember when I had the Commodore 64, my friend Chris had a Sinclair Spectrum and there was a big rivalry between Commodore 64 and the Sinclair Spectrum. Yes, I'm, I'm a mm. specky man. Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> Calm down now, lads. Don't make me separate. <laughs> Fisticuffs. Why, yada, yada. But uh, I remember being very jealous of the fact that there You're was like a... both as bad as each other. <laughs> there was like a sound chip on the Sinclair Spectrum that could have voice clips in it. Like there was an old Codemasters game called Slightly Magic and I had the Commodore 64 version and the title screen was just a guy waving a wand and it played music. If you played it on the Sinclair Spectrum, a voice would say, magic. And then the game would play. And I was like, it's so much better. It's so much better than my version because you hear a guy say the title. To be fair, the Slightly Magic sample was good for a Spectrum. Like, they'd, be, they'd done old games like Fantasy World Dizzy! Fantasy World Dizzy! And Treasure Island Dizzy! Treasure Island Yes. <laughs> and then Slightly Magic comes along and it's like ASMR, it's a man going Slightly Magic It was amazing! <laughs> <laughs> I do like that the Jungle Book seems to follow the plot of the Jungle Book movie according to this uh, rundown in the Q-Zone it says, find ten gems, then Bagheera then find ten gems, then destroy Car, then find ten gems, then Bagheera, and then find ten gems and then Baloo the Bear, that's the plot of Jungle Book as far as I remember yep. Yeah, I, I, I remember all those gems when he had to find them Yeah Marco's Magic Football, Part 1. Written by Lou Stringer, art by Gary Andrews, and letters by Elita Fell. In the town of North Stirlington, soccer-mad Marco's got a secret. 
after being immersed in a barrel of green sludge belonging to the mysterious toy maker Colonel Brown, his football has become magic and reappears by his foot after he kicks it. Unfortunately, when Marco gets lost in thought remembering this strange day, a police officer tries to write him up for playing in a no-ball-game zone. Marco legs it, but the copper gives chase and crashes into another barrel of sludge, which mutates him into a sludge monster! <laughs> this opens on a lovely big drawing of a, like, northern town. You know, northern town. there's rows and rows of, like, terraced houses, and there's a factory district. The factory. And there's a funfair district. <laughs> Presumably that's in the game. I bet there's a funfair level in the game. Exactly, yeah. And then there's a castle at the back, which is also presumably from the game. But other than that... Final stage, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Other than the castle and the funfair, it's a very down-to-earthy sort of illustration of a northern town. Seen from the sky, complete with clouds and bird. <laughs> Did you play Marco's Magic Football, Martin? I remember renting it, and I remember kind of enjoying the gameplay. Mm. I remember thinking that the football stuff, where how you kind of had a projectile that would come back to you, that seemed like a really neat gimmick back in the day. I'm having a really weird memory because I made a quote-unquote webcomic hmm? in like 2000 when I first joined the internet and there was a character in it called Marco spelled exactly like this and looking at the character design, I feel like I must have been like remembering this character's face because he looks facially like the character that I sort of came up with. So I think that I must have been hearkening back to this game or this comic at least. Certainly, I remember this one really vividly. This comic feels sort of like a, a Beano strip that mm -hmm. just turns into like a video game story as soon as the police officer turns into a sludge creature. <laughs> But for the most part, it feels like it would fit right alongside anything in, like, the Beano or the Dandy. Well, specifically Ball Boy, yeah, who is another oh, yeah, blonde football-kicking character, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. He, just, yeah. he didn't have a magic football, did he? He just played football. I don't think so, yeah. I think he was just a member of a football team and they played football. Chris, you won't be surprised to learn. That was literally all you needed for a strip in the Beano sometimes, was this person likes pens you know that was <laughs> yeah you won't be surprised to learn i didn't really read it <laughs> so, you know i would read i would read everything in the beano regardless of subject matter yeah usually i would man yeah apparently though i don't remember it very well so i must have just skipped over it i'd always skip to the bash street kids well there's an assumption in this comic that you're going to run a cropper of the local copper you know this isn't one of these be nice to the local bobby on the beat immediately he runs away from him the copper gives chase. You know, they are, mm. it's an antagonist policeman straight away. Maybe that's where I'm getting the slightly mm. Beano-ish mm. vibe off of it. Yeah, running from the lore. From authority, yeah. I do love this panel of the policeman arriving on his bike with his knees literally up around his ears yeah. <laughs> as he paddles. <laughs> Can't you read? Playing football in a no-ball games area is a serious offence. Name, <laughs> address, and boot size, if you please. How good is Marco that he can take out an entire swarm of bees with I one know. football in one kick? <laughs> yeah, I know. Obviously, Sprang. there must be some bee enemies yeah. in the video game because this must is such be, yeah. a complete non-sequitur. Like, <laughs> a swarm of bees suddenly descends and the narration explains some days North Sterlington's plagued by him. Yeah, and he punts his ball into the swarm of bees, which go... Uh, and, and that's it. No more. <laughs> Surely, though, there must be bee enemies. There must be. You couldn't put that in there apropos of nothing. There must be. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, Marco FAQ walkthrough. Halfway down the ladder, a bee will be lining up to sting you. But a bee, not a swarm of bees. There so that's a, a flourish of the comic. Well, presumably there's more than yeah. one bee in there. Who ever heard of 1B? 
<laughs> in a video game. Who ever heard of 1B? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's, just such a, it's like an old aphorism. <laughs> Who's ever heard of 1B? <laughs> Where there's 1B. There's probably some Bs. There's more Bs. <laughs> more Bs. <laughs> so the art in this is... It's not... Uh, teeming with stuff but it does the job and it's nice it's not without its charm mm, that's it mm, yeah it's charming page two is particularly guilty of just vast swathes of nothing well something i kept noticing is that this artist whose name is gary andrews gary andrews i don't think we know apart from this no not been on the comic before um keeps giving us panels where he could draw the sky in blue but he doesn't he leaves it white mm. and oh well, no actually no i'm wrong there there's only one time where he really does that the rest of the time he's using and i quite like this a sort of non-diegetic background where it's just a strip of colour behind mm. the figure. He does that a couple of times. I quite like that as a technique. I've used it myself and I don't mind. Oh yeah, but whenever he does that on a page then where no background in the second, fourth or fifth panels. Yeah, but it does, the, the lines are cool. The Just the line yeah. thickness is quite uh, you know, it changes all the time. He's, I think he's using a brush pen here. There's a distinct thicker in the middle line style here. I remember Dave, we talked many moons ago now mm. about sometimes you would see a style of art mm. in STC and it felt achievable to a child. Yes. It felt mm. like the ability to work in art and in comics was not so far off and unreachable as reading a page of Richard Elson's art might seem to you in your stupid child's hand on able yeah. to even grip the pen properly yeah. and that's the kind of vibe i remember getting from marco yeah it makes me want to draw and I, I like that that's i like that in any comic i like uh some of the effects he's used you see on the tower or on the wall mm. in the buildings on page three where he hasn't drawn brickwork or anything he's just drawn a very quick line um but then in the coloring stage yeah he's like uh used simply areas of slightly darker colour to convey, like, a brickwork pattern and stuff yes. like that. Yes, I think what he's done is... Uh, and I'm, I've no reason to... I've no proof, but I'm guessing I'm looking at brush pens rather than brushes and paint, but I don't know. But either way, he's just used that pen or brush to just go line, 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 and relied on the thickness of the brush to make them be bricks. And it's great. It works. I might nick that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I have much to say about the story, though. Nah, it's just a bit of mucking about with a magic football, isn't it? Bit of beano in isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I welcome that. Although I will say that the phrase lard barm cakes <laughs> has stuck with me for 25 years. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, oh, has it? Yeah, uh, I, my equivalent was in an issue of Calamity James once. He came across a, a vat of sugared plum duff. Yes, because Marco is heading up the road with his ball. His mum comes out and says, Where do you think you're off to? Just going for a kickabout, ma. And she says, All right, don't be long. We've got black pudding and lard barn cakes for tea. That's the thing. This is definitely northern, <laughs> isn't it, this comic? Oh, I, yeah. Like, it's not phonetically written nope. in any way, but there's just something nope. about it that says northern. <laughs> Where do you think you're off to? Just off for a kickabout, man. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. That's it, really. It's just a nice little Beano-y style, here's a boy in his one gimmick comic, mm. and next issue he's going to fight a monster with his gimmick. Cool. I never made that connection no, before, that either. one gimmicky Beano-y thing, but yeah, and it matches with the art style so well, too. I don't really remember much about where this goes. It's funny, it doesn't stand out to me as a very stringery strip so far. Oh, no, 
true, and you surprised me there. I'd forgotten it was. Yeah, right? It doesn't read like one of his. But then again, wait, though, because Stringer came from that kind of comic. He did, he did, yeah. He's Tom Thug. He does that sort of thing. Yeah, Combat Colin and the like. You know, there's sort of the weird scenarios of Combat Colin and this You're right. sludge monsters and evil bees mm. that would just randomly drop in out of nowhere. It's not of a piece with his other STC work, though. No. It's the funny thing. No, I suppose it's more like his natural style. This is what he... or Well, I don't know what his natural style is, but the work that I'm more used to seeing him employed to do in those other comics. Mm. Mm. That's what this sort of thing is. And then for STC, he has an STC mode. He's a versatile chap, is Lou, and he makes the... He sure is. He makes the sort of comics that I, and I don't hesitate to say probably Lou, wish more of existed in the UK these days and was commissioned more often. (laughs) Ruth Bale from Wellingborough was very happy with the stickers. She says, they've come just in time for taping up my little sister's mouth. (laughs) The season of Goodwill doesn't impress you then, Ruth, says Megadroid. Well, is it Megadroid? It's got to be Megadroid. It's just a Christmas pudding. Yes, his face, where normally there's a little multicoloured Megadroid face, it's yeah. a Christmas pud for these yeah. issues. The, whole, the page has been taken over by a Christmas pud. That's answering the letters this time. Uh, including, what's the next one? Paul Brown of East Ham, London, Mega Drive and Master System owner, says, Dear Megadroid, I mentioned to my mum that I wanted to collect STC for as long as I live. However, I was speech... <laughs> Everyone is sagely nodding. <laughs> However, I was speechless when she replied, I doubt it'll last till the end of next year. Please tell me there's no truth in this. And uh, the Christmas pudding replies, Panic not, Paul. Predictions state that STC will run for longer than that. A Sonic... No. What? What's it meant to be? <laughs> Predictions state that STC will run for longer than... Uh... Sonic! Ah, yes, 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 yes. I added the word that. Yes. Longer than that, Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because in a comic, in your Beano's and so on, E-H is how you spell A, as in a person going A. So it's like, predictions state that STC will run longer than A? Yeah, that's that's wrong. But they mean... E-R. Or U-H-H. And there should definitely be some uh, an ellipses in there or something, not yeah. a comma. Yeah. Typographical criticism of a 25-year-old comic. That's what you come to this podcast for. <laughs> the thing is, the Christmas pud doesn't have much experience replying to the letters, so we have to give it a little bit of slack for that. <laughs> That's true. Since there's only three and there's three of us, Martin, would you like to read out the third one? Yeah, go on. Sure. we got the last one, which is from Daniel Spain in Surrey. And it says, Dear STC, I would like to know whether it's possible to use the Mega Drive with the Mega CD2. And the Christmas Pud replies, Sure is, Danny Boy. See this issue's special gift giver's guide to all the Sega hardware. Now, as somebody who was desperate for a Mega CD, Martin, did you know you needed a Mega Drive to use it? I don't think I knew when I was, like, lusting for it. I think I just assumed it was its own animal. Uh, But having learned that you had to, like, insert the Mega Drive console, attach it to it, that was... uh, I don't know if I was, like, crestfallen because of that, because I assumed it was its own little glorious machine, but... I remember thinking, oh, it's just something you stick on. That's kind of lame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a multi-mega, you were thinking of. Yes. And uh, two pieces of Christmassy fan art as well. Um... One from an unidentified person who hasn't sent their uh, details in. It's Sonic the Christmas Tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the pieces of art that you could only see on these pages. <laughs> 
it's a Christmas tree with Sonic's feet poking out the bottom and his head yeah. in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, ambiguous if it's a Christmas tree that's Sonic-y, or if it's Sonic through a Christmas tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is he like carrying it along and poking his head out of it, or what's going on? Don't know. And then, the last one, I love this. Tara Morgan from Midglamorgan, Wales. God, it's a mouthful, that. There's a lot of Morgans going on. <laughs> Game Gear and Mega Drive owner, and she has just drawn Sonic as Father Christmas, but it's the cheeriest little... Sonic in the world. I just want to give his nose a tweet. You know, Sonic always has his mouth in an upward curve, but it's always a smirk, whereas this is a smile. (laughs) Yeah, it's the smile that Onion from Steven Universe has. Oh, it is. (laughs) I would not have made that link. (laughs) There you go. That's it. That's all because the, the font's enormous these days, so there's not that much going on in Speedlines anymore. And because we've been doing an extremely long episode, we're not going to dig into our own uh, mailbag this episode, but do write in. We're a bit low on uh, letters these days, so anything you want to say or record or send to us, send it in to stctpodcast at gmail.com and we will read your thingies out on the air. Though this is a slightly weirdly positioned speed lines, as it's on a right-hand page instead of a mm. left-hand one, I don't like it. So if we flip the page, <laughs> there's that ad for the bloody Hurricanes game again. again. And then facing that, our next issue advert. 48 pages of Festive Revolidate, it's another double-sizer. Roll up for the Sony Psygnosis Compo. Win Ooh. a magical mystery tour of Liverpool. Oh. Free Badnik spotter cards, second set of six, plus kick in action with Streets of Rage and Marco's Magic Football. See what they did there? Kicking, kicking, because it's like uh, kicking, kicking football and also football. kicking. Also kicking people. Kick, the kicking yep. faces. <laughs> Fave raves, Sonic and Knuckles, and special stories starring Tails and Dr. Robotnik. Wait a minute. That seems somewhat less special than Amy and Megadroid, doesn't it? They kind of front-loaded yeah, the specialness Yeah, but I'm down there. for a Robotnik strip. That's on a level with Megadroid. I'll be looking forward to that. Pinups, puzzles, and more. STC 42. Forget the bird. Here's the hedgehog on sale Saturday the 24th of December. Dave, I see the expression on your face of confusion. It's referring to the bird as in the Christmas bird, the turkey. Is oh. it? Oh, I see. Uh, that... <laughs> That's odd to me. That's obscure. It is a little odd, but you know they sometimes grasp for things here. Yeah, on sale Christmas (laughs) Eve. Well, why didn't they say forget the turkey? Here's the hedgehog. I know, right? Special price one fifty. I d- I did googling and everything. I was googling forget the bird. Here's the. I was thinking it was like a phrase they had in the childhood <laughs> era of the editors of this comic. You know. <laughs> and just before we close the book on this issue, we must draw attention once more to the old data strip that's always there on the right hand side of the next issue page, which we just sort of mentally tune out. But we must draw attention to it, for we must, as we always do, ask Martin. Did you ever send in a data strip? I don't believe I did, no. <laughs> I don't think anyone Boo. did. No, whoever did. Who cut up their comic? You know, I'm sure there are yeah. copies on eBay with yeah. bits cut off the back covers, but sick freaks. All right, well, if you were filling it in, game into strip. What Sega game would you like to see as an STC strip in the future? What do you reckon? Well, Knights, I think, would still be a really good one. Mm. I know I mentioned it earlier, the yeah, Saturn games. Seems like a no-brainer. But aside from that, did they ever do an Alex Kidd comic for no, Sonic the Comic? No, never did. I think that would be a good one. Yeah. I was like that. I just want to see them challenge each other to rock, paper, scissors and stuff. <laughs> yeah, real gripping narrative mechanic, yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think if they were to do an adaptation of Alex Kidd, the way they should do it is that, like, all of the pages should have the Alex Kidd comic printed on them by default, and then the rest of the comic is printed on over the top so that whenever there isn't 
a normal whenever because it came because you, when you turn the master system on, see Alex Kidd would just tortured. I think that's going to bring us to the end of the issue. Some various tethers. <laughs> Martin, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been an absolute blast. I was thrilled listening to you guys just talk about it. I was thrilled reading <laughs> the comic again. It was exactly as fun and as wonderful as I remember it being. Oh. And now I just want to read the whole thing. I want, to, I want to read it from beginning to end because I never did get to the end of that comic. So now I've got a hankering for Sonic the comic. Yes. And listen, man, what we've produced for you so far is 41 issues that you can read along with. You can read the comic and then listen to the... The podcast about it. Won't that be a treat? <laughs> no, yeah, totally. I feel like that is the ultimate way to experience the comic now with you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even know because, like, he's just right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It is. <laughs> well, I had the decency to be flattered. <laughs> God, think about it. Chris, 41 issues. That's like, let's call it 85 hours of content we've made by this point. At Probably least. Probably more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the year's not over yet, so we'll see if getting maudlin and, and end of year until next episode. But yeah, oh wow. Oh, I thought you said we'll we'll save, you know, doing some modeling. <laughs> oh yeah, for our Christmas calendar. Get our Sonic Christmas jumpers on, yeah. yeah for the new 1995 calendar we'll be working on. Patreons <laughs> yeah. only. We should do that. <laughs> no, that's more one for our only fans. Um, <laughs> Bumper sized. <laughs> Well, uh, Martin, if you're looking for the other episodes of this show, and for you guys out there, when you're looking for the next one, you'll be able to get them anywhere the podcasts are available, but you can download them directly from our website at stctp.wigglehe.com. You can contact the show directly. We've got a Twitter. It is at Sonic Podcast. Yeah, Martin, we managed to get that. Nobody else had ever registered wow. at Sonic right? Podcast. <laughs> That's incredible. What I get. I'm following you right now. Thank you. But you can tweet at us separately. Mine is at Demon Tomato Dave. I am at Chris McFeely, and we're also on YouTube under those names as well. Dave's on that Twitch. Mm -hmm. And uh, Martin? You can follow me, Little Karibo, at Yu-Gi-Oh! on Twitter. And my YouTube is youtube.com slash cardgamesftw, all one word. And you'll be able to follow all my new videos. I do a Yu-Gi-Oh! GX recap series. And I do a parody of Yu-Gi-Oh! called Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. And on Twitter, I mostly just vent about wrestling and uh, other things that come into my brain. Butts. Yes, mostly. <laughs> If you'd like to support the podcast, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash stctp, where we do uh, exclusive videos. We have been looking at the uh, Martin Adams Sonic novels, and I have been enduring Dave reading me his angst-filled fanfic from the time. <laughs> That's right. That's right, and thank you to everyone who's already signed up for that. Like, we're able to pay our editor to do two episodes a month now. Haven't really got any uh, money in our own pocket, so maybe you might <laughs> want to sign up and get some free videos. Since recording this, we have had some new patrons join, so we have got a little bit in pocket, and I used my half to purchase, if you can believe this, one of just a hundred copies ever produced of the CD given away as a competition prize at the end of that one episode of Tomorrow's World, containing the 3D stereo demo tracks <laughs> in what must be the single most Dave-making STCTP move I've ever made. Will I ever be able to top that? I guess you'll have to become a patron and find out what other stupid things we end up doing. 
Thank you! <laughs> Our theme song was Synchronize from Sonic the Comic The Band. You can check them out at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. Our editor has been Sam Gabriel, a voice actor who you can find on Twitter at, at SaberInBlue. But we have been Sonic the Comic The Christmas Podcast, and we will see you for our second Christmas special next time! time.